It's nine o'clock on a Saturday. Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner, Murph and Fred back together again on ESPN <laughs> One Thousand. Hi, everybody, Murph and Fred. Glad you're with us. Busy, busy day. Lots to cover. Saturdays nine till noon. And uh, oh, there goes another one out of the ballpark. I'm not sure if it's a Cub hitting it or Dylan Covey giving it up. The wind taketh and the wind giveth. We'll cover lots today, especially the uh, exciting uh, Wrigley Field. Makes everybody exciting. Makes the Cubs and the Twins, like you said, Fred, exciting. Although, but as Joe said after the game, well, you know what? Uh, it's got a lot to do with uh, the weather, which is true. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, anytime it's that, that warm. <laughs> the ball is going to be uh, leaving the yard, and uh, mm-hmm. it did for Mauer into the basket early. Yep. And uh, you know, Mauer drove in five, and the Cubs come yep. back from 5 2 down, and you know, a nice victory. One they needed because, uh, you know, Joe apparently and everybody, they were all tired. Let's take a look at the uh, Murph and Fred fan focus group Twitter poll for this half hour. Uh, vote right now at uh, good old ESPN uh, 1000. Uh, oh. Let me crank it up there, big bad Sean. And Fred spinning the basketball on his index finger. Yeah, I, some people did it on their middle finger, I but I always I, did it on my index finger. As soon as I said index finger, I realized, well, that's not always correct. Yeah, some people do it. I don't know why yeah. the middle finger, because it's higher and they don't have to worry about the middle finger bothering the ball, I can't I do it. Have you ever tried? I, yeah, I can do it, but not for an extended period of time. Yeah, only oh. for like oh, very good. six or seven rotations okay. and then it falls off. Can you run yeah, I can't do it. I can't hit it again and spin it. I can't do that. Can you uh, take the bat and put it under your shirt like the Globetrotters do? I can do, do that very easily. And then they go to the... Uh, uh, oversized referee and pat and they go, oh yeah I can do that. Part. Can you take the bucket of uh, confetti and pretend it's a bucket of yep. water and run All over and things. throw it on uh, uh, Big Bad Sean? Yeah, but I okay. can't make the any can't make any of the baskets. <laughs> Vote right now at ESPN One Thousand. Who's at? F- oh, this is simple. Multiple choice. Who's at fault? Darvish, Theo, both or neither? Okay. Uh, very simple. Yep. All week. He won't throw for three to five days from what we hear. Got his cortisone. Yeah. Went back to visit his guy with the old Texas Rangers medical team. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they said, no, no, no. It's an impingement. All you got is an... uh, All you got in your $126 million elbow is an impingement. Yeah. I don't know if that's bad or good, but he's got an impingement and uh, inflammation. He he took the cortisone shot and... uh, I don't even play a doctor on radio, but the cortisone shot, what, reduces inf- inflammation? Yeah. For a while. Right, for a little while. Usually comes back. That's what I thought, but yeah. I, I didn't want to say that. Yeah, the doctor wants to give them to me and my knee for arthritis, and oh, I really? said, how long, they, how long do they last? He said, mm-hmm. ah, six to eight weeks. I go, well, then what? Well, you need another one. <laughs> Forget it. If I only can only get three a year, what am I going to do the rest of the time? So well, I'll just I'll tell, deal with the pain. I'll tell you what, that guy that gave you the $126 million so you can run around with your knee is worried right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you're not. Uh-huh. Because you got the annuity there. Yeah. Right. You're worried about your knee, but right. $126 million makes it feel a little better. <laughs> and when the doc comes at you with that two-foot-long needle they always talk about for the cortisone yep. shot. yeah. And you don't like, want to see it. Yeah, like Doug Buffon used to say, we had the uh, Dr. Fox. Right. Uh, Doug uh, used to say it with the Bears, and uh, he'd get a, uh, not, they used to call it a magic marker, now they call it a Sharpie. Remember, he said they'd, he'd put an X on your knee, 
Big to make sure they hit the right one. Yeah, they'd start at the other end of the uh, room, and he'd run at you through the locker room, and go, he hit that thing. He said, sometimes he actually hit it right on the X. Yeah. Vote right now. Who's at fault? Fault for what, Murph? Well, that's up to you. Who's at fault? Vote now. 332-3776 or at ESPN 1000. A, Darvish is at fault. B, Theo's at fault. C, they're both at fault. D, come on. Neither is at fault. All right. Uh, oh, Jesse Rogers at 10 o'clock. Stick around for that. And uh, Phil Rogers uh, around 11 o'clock. Baseball uh, national guy here yeah, in he's Chicago. Got a, he's got a D in his name. Jesse doesn't have a D. That's the difference. Right. That's All the right. big difference between the two. Hey, let's have a round of applause right now. The well, uh, not so, not cloud so has come in front of the... Did you read about the Cub game yesterday? It was a quick cloud. Yeah, a cloud passed somewhere like in the seventh or eighth inning. Uh-huh. For like a... There they are! And the fans in right field, and I guess along like the first base where the dugout used to be, for a, you know, a moment... They were in the shade, yeah. so the uh, clouds got a big round well, of Well, the amazing applause. thing is the Cubs scheduled the game for 4.05 because they were coming back from the West Coast. The problem is, on a day like yesterday, uh-huh. the hottest temperature was between 3 and 5 o'clock. First time, exactly right. First time they've ever had a start, right. 4.05. Mm-hmm. The agreement with the neighborhood back in uh, at 8.88 was uh, among many little uh, notes and side issues on the contract. No Friday night games. Right. And they've had a few, but... Well, that I guess they had to get special dispensation from yeah. the aldermen or, or the neighborhood. But uh, not a bad idea. I guess the fine print says 5 o'clock is the official uh, night game in Wrigleyville, the neighborhood. So four o'clock was legal. Cubs, even though it was a day game, getaway day in uh, LA on Thursday, they still said, well, you know what? Three more hours is three more hours for the players to, you know, get acclimated back home, get some rest, a couple extra hours maybe to nap and sleep rather. But you're right, Fred. That is the hottest time of the day. Yeah, I'm just glad they didn't make it a 420 because they have the games at 120 and Jeff Agress in the Sun-Times yesterday explained. Yeah, he had it all wrong. Well, he had some of it wrong, I think. I don't know if he had all of it wrong. Well, they've been playing 120 starts since like the 60s, and uh, he did say in the a fine piece, right? he said, uh, oh, in the 80s they started uh, the 120 start time. No, but whatever. Well, he said they used to play at 130. I think they played at 120 all that time. Anyway, whatever. But But still, they got rid of the leadoff man, so there's no reason to not start at 105. The TV show. They have a CV show from 1230 to 1. I know, but they still have a leadoff man. It was Elmora yesterday. You said they got rid of the leadoff they man. They did get rid of the leadoff man. <laughs> oh, by the way, speaking of Elmora, this was the most interesting. We don't talk enough about him. Well, here was an interesting note from uh, Len Casper. Late middle of the game, Len Casper says, uh, Albert Elmora now has 78. That's a 7 and then an 8. All uh-huh. right. 78 plate appearances in a row. With no unintentional walks. He hasn't walked unless it was put up the four fingers right. in 78 plate appearances. But I thought that leadoff guys had needed the on base. Yeah. But he's got on base. He does have on base. I know. Let me pull that up. He's hitting over three. What's he hitting? 324. Like? He's third best in the National League. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So are walks overrated? I always thought you need walks. But. The guy hasn't walked in 78 at bats. Amora's on base is 363. There you go. Yeah. That ain't bad. He has 15 walks, mm-hmm. uh, which is less than, boy, oh, boy. It's less than any of the top 20 hitters in baseball. 
Where fewer. is he in the top ten? No one cares about batting average. I understand that. But right now, Elmora, yeah, three, but when you're 324. Hitting, yeah, 324. The only guys in the National League hitting higher than him. Scooter Jeanette, the guy that should be the starting second baseman, right. 327. Right. And um, actually, he's second. I forgot that Houston's oh, in the American wait League. Wait a minute. Yeah. Elmora is second, second in the National League. In batting. You got uh, Scooter Jeanette at 327 and uh, Albert Elmora at 324. Because Marcakis is 323. So Elmora jumped over Marcakis with his three for five yesterday. Remember? We don't talk enough about him because no. remember we talk so much about him should be out there every day. It doesn't matter. Put him lead off. Put him in. He's got to be in center field. He's hitting three twenty four, and you know today's a day where he'll probably be sitting on the bench. Well, you never know. But I, I will say this: there's certain certain pitchers, uh, right handers that Joe still said no, no. You're sitting down today. Uh, the Dodgers, uh, one of their their big guys, uh, who was a big well, right? Barry, well, the Dodgers. Well, no, guys. in the Dodgers series, he wouldn't. He didn't start him against uh, Stripling. Stripling. That was it because he had bad uh, career, I guess, numbers. Against, Ivy must have told him that against the righty. But Ivy says, about, "Joe, don't start Elmora." How about this? All winter. Remember, we were told by uninformed that, uh, you know, Elmora can't hit righties. Remember that? Yeah. All winter. And then every time I would try to step in and remind everybody, well, you know what? From about August 15th last year till the end of the year, he did hit righties. Uh-huh. But the overall number for the yeah. season was still not pumped up yet. Yeah. So there's your leadoff here. Yeah, you know what it is now? Against righties? Uh-huh. No idea. Yeah, 331 he's hitting. So... He's, he's hitting, hitting 303 against lefties. So he's hitting better against righties than lefties. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go, Ivy. You know, sometimes... Three homers against righties. Now, granted, he faces more righties than he does lefties because there are more right-handed pitchers. He has 172 at-bats against righties, only 66 against well, lefties. Well, that doesn't matter because... the po- Yes, it matters, but everyone says he can't hit righties, he hits lefties. Yeah. And obviously... That's wrong. That is reversed. Uh-huh. He's, he's, worked, he's worked hard. Maybe you know, with Chili Davis. You know, I want to talk about yesterday's game, but Fred, while, while you got me on this now, you know, I love numbers. Mm-hmm. Let the record show, I had guys like John Dewan and Bill James on uh, back in 1992 right. when no one even knew what numbers were. I've always loved this. But sometimes these guys get so involved in their stats. Well, you want to hear a number I heard the other day that I couldn't... Kevin Smith, the catcher for the White Sox, stole a base, and he was the first White Sox catcher Uh to steal a base on his 30th birthday for the White Sox. (laughs) Really? Really? Was that right before Sox math and Stoney and Sticks or whatever? I don't know. Sox math came up the other day, and the last one was multiply something by a number that was zero, and I'm going, okay, really? Yeah. Yeah. The answer's zero, right? Yeah. You when they're on what? the road, they don't have their table with them. So they said you can win like a bottle of water or a brick that they find in the press box. Hey, listen, it's that's, gotta, a, that's a great bit. It's got to be tough yeah. to do a game on TV that's going to last three and a half hours and it's, you know, 10 to 1 or whatever. It's baseball. I mean. But they do. But no, they, it doesn't matter. No, they I do, know. I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm just saying. They do socks math no matter what. I'm saying it's got to be tough. It could be a thriller. It could be a one a, a one run game throughout the contest. Are a no hitter going on, and they still do Sox math because probably because it's well sponsored. because they they feel that the game they don't trust their own product, uh-huh. which I've said for years about baseball. They don't trust their own product. 
Therefore, hey, you know what? We got to do more uh, bells and whistles and production values and everything. Fine. Hold it. Whatever. The Cubs don't do Cubs math. Thank God. The Cubs don't do um, sticks and deches. <laughs> I mean, come on. It, the, those two things are the dumbest things in, in all of bro- baseball broadcasting. And my good pal Stoney, you can tell he really hates doing it, but he has to. So. Well, no, I think he likes doing the part that sticks and stone because it talks about him and his playing career. Yeah, but he's but he still doesn't always put his heart into it a hundred percent. I don't know. Maybe it was a. It's a rough. Yeah. You know. It's a it's a rough uh, listen. So the Cubs yesterday. <laughs> Cubs. That are was now, me saying that. I did. You know, everybody else can like it if they. Cubs like are it. now in second place, still two and a half behind Milwaukee. Cardinals are now five and a half back, three behind the Cubs. Cubs win ten to six in a crazy game. Four home runs. Uh, Russell with the grand slam. Hayward a two-run shot. Zobers a two-run shot, and Schwarbs hit one a mile. They said 422 feet. I don't know how it could not have been more than that. Yeah. It uh, it bounced into the upper, as I call it, pyramid, uh, the section of seats in the center field bleachers, where it's like a, a triangular pyramid, right. pyramid up by the scoreboard. It ricocheted up there. Yeah, Ron Coomer had a great line. He said, when you go to a ball game, yeah. you never expect to catch a ball where that one was caught. No. <laughs> no not no. the center field bleachers. I, I saw Strawberry hit one up there in BP once, and uh-huh. nobody could believe it. Right. Now, the wind's blowing out yesterday, 15 miles an hour. The wind giveth and that would be the three-run homer by uh, Joe Maurer. You know, you got to look at the guy like um, Mike Montgomery yesterday, Fred. His numbers don't look all that good. He pitched an amazing game. We'll break that down later. 97 pitches in a hundred and what eleven degree what? heat index yeah. feels like uh, game time temp. Pat Hughes said 70, uh, 97. Other reports said 96. Doesn't matter. Hot, humid. And this kid, Montgomery, went 97 pitches. The first three runs on the Maurer homer, and they all count. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to apologize. But they were, they were as tainted as three uh, runs could ever be in, in that uh, the home run itself was a pop-up to left. As was Addison Russell's. Russell's, right. Oh, oh, yeah. Even Russell said after the game he thought he hit it too high. And he did hit it too high. It's just the wind was there. Well, if he hadn't hit it that high, see, he sort of had it was confused. If he hadn't hit it that high, the wind wouldn't have drifted it. Right. Well, let's here, let's take a listen. Here's Addison Russell. Cubs are trailing 5-2. Bases loaded. Here's Addy. Russell has walked and flied to center. High fly ball to left. The wind carrying it toward the bleachers. Highlights courtesy NBC Chicago Sports. Now, let's break this down, Fred. So, Addison Russell hits a pop-up to left. Uh-huh. The left fielder, if you look again on your back and forth, I call it, you know, his first initial step was lateral or even in, all right? Then the wind starts blowing, the wind starts blowing. Hey, that's fine. The wind's been blowing in for uh, eight weeks, if yeah. not longer, with the cold of spring. We yep. know that. And it's blowing out for both teams. Maurer's ball went about 361 feet, they measured it. Into the basket. And, well, yeah, it hit the uh, wall. Right. 
uh, and then ricocheted, as of course, into the basket. And uh, the home run by Addison Russell, the left fielder's initial step was uh, sideways or in, and it carried, it carried, it carried. And uh, I think they marked it 366, uh, the official. Some, now, it went so high, the camera, it was weird. Every replay I saw, you couldn't, you couldn't see the ball. You couldn't land. see the ball because right. it came up down from so high up. Yeah. Some reports uh, in the uh, from the Tribune Sunday. One report said it was in a basket shot. Yeah. Another report, it might have been Cap after the game on the post game coverage, said it landed in the sixth row. Well, you can see a fan reaching out as the ball's coming down. So unless the fan was. Uh, you know, just went through eye surgery. Yeah, long arms. Well, the ball wasn't, I don't think it might have ricocheted, but it was a windblown uh, pop-up. So Dana, lovely Dana, who knows as much about baseball as anyone, I say to her at home, I go, a windblown grand slam. And she said, now, wait a minute. Uh-huh. You cannot have a windblown home run. I said, well, no. okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, no, I, I misquoted. I'm sorry. She says, you cannot have a pop-up. You can't call it a pop-up if it's a home run. And I said, well, you know what you mean? She pop-ups mean infield. So the nomenclature is what she meant. Uh-huh. All right, pop. Can you have a pop-out to short left? Yeah. Sure. But, you know, I'm not going to argue with lovely Dana because she's a, a baseball expert. Uh-huh. She goes, you can't have a pop-up that's a home run. So... I said to myself, I'm going to pick a different battle. I said, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. So would you call it a pop-up home run? Uh, no, I thought it was it hit a little bit better than that. There have been some balls in the past hit a Wrigley Field where the shortstop starts backing up, and next thing he knows, it gets it gets into the basket. Uh, but the wind was blowing only at 12 miles per hour. If it's, there's been times it's been blowing at 25. Now it was game time 15. So okay. I don't know if it's coming or going. Let's hear the initial reaction from uh, uh, Len Casper again, Big Bad Sean. Let's see if he says pop-up or win ball. Let's just hear it one more time. Russell has walked and fly to center. High fly ball to left. High fly ball. The wind carrying it toward the bleachers. It's gone. It's a grand slammer. All right. (laughs) And the Cubs have the lead. Highlights again, NBC, uh, uh, Chicago Sports. But Russell was wrong in his post-game evaluation, Fred, by saying, I thought I hit it too high. See, 90% of the time, yes. Oh, that ball's too high, it won't go out. Too, if he hadn't hit it that high, it wouldn't have gone wouldn't out. Have put right? the Cubs ahead 6-5. to five. Uh, so Today, look at some of the things. We, Fred, we got so much to get to. We have, we have the what-if segment coming up. We have a funny Yosh Kawano story. Let me ask a question. Does anyone know who Yosh Kawano is besides me? I don't know. A lot of people know who he is. Let's bring in uh, Let's bring in Big Bad Sean. Sean? Yeah. A lot of coverage this week. Uh, and, you know, you're a younger guy. A lot of coverage about a guy named Yosh Kawano, who passed away, 97 years of age. He was a Cubs legend around the ballpark, Jack Brickhouse in the day, and then Harry Carey would make him famous. Arnie Harris, the producer of the old games, would always show him with this white floppy fisherman's hat. He was the equipment manager uh, from, you know, some say from the 30s. He officially, I think, was on a ground crew in 1945 and until he stepped aside in 1908, pretty much. Served a little time across at the visitors back and forth. But everyone knew Yosh Kawano in the day. 
I, I worry a little bit, Fred. You know, we have to know our audience. I don't want to talk about someone that half our listener goes, who's he talking about? Sean? We're here to educate. Sean? And I need your big bad Sean drop in here any time coming up, big bad uh, Sean. There it is. Crank it. Big Sean. Big bad Sean. Sean Davis. Do you know, or had you known, had you ever heard of Yoshikawano? I just need to know. Absolutely. All right, cool. How could you not? Watching Harry Carey as much as right. we talked about him growing up. All right, beautiful. So, uh, you you know about Yosh. Yosh was a legend. I got a funny Yosh Kawano story, Fred. Uh, should I drop it in now or uh, a little later? We got a lot to cover right here. He wasn't the one. He was a, he was a crotchety old man. Now, let, let me ask a question. Yeah. Was Yosh the equivalent of, like, Roger Bossert on the uh, oh, south no. side? No. Not grounds crew. Yeah. Not, but not position, but as far as the way they're looked at oh, okay. by the fandom. Long tenure, yeah. beloved, everyone yes. knew him. Yes. A, a great point. Uh, this was, of course, the clubhouse attendant. Get the uniforms ready and washed and uh, everything. The rosin bag. I, I mean, he was in charge of... He, did you hear... And he was very frugal with Mr. Wrigley's money, uh -huh. Sean and, and Fred. Well, that's why he stuck around so long. When I was a kid, I'd watch the Cubs games, and I always noticed the Cubs rosin bag was different from any other rosin bag in the major leagues. Every other rosin bag was like maybe four inch by four inch, sort of a square pillow. Right. And the pitcher would dust his hand off, you know, with the rosin. The Cubs rosin bag was like about 12 inches long and tubular. I found out later what Yosh used to do to save a little bit of money by not having to purchase the rosin bags for Mr. Wrigley. He would just purchase a big block, a big cake of rosin uh -huh. in the winter time as he'd make his purchasing list. And then he would take what they used to call the sanitary socks, the long white sock yep. that players would wear underneath their you know, blue stirrups or black stirrups, as they used to call them, with the, with the little... You know, a uh, half moon there of the white showing through. And those originally were for uh, uh, when players used to spike each other and you didn't want the dye in the old, like, uh, you know, flannel, those woolen socks to bleed into your cut and you would get poisoned from the dye, from the poison dye, dye of the socks. So you wore these clean white sanitaries. Anyway, he would take the long sanitary sock, cut it in half, throw a big chunk of the rosin and then, then tie it off at the end and just throw it on the mound to save a few bucks for right. Mr. Wrigley. Also, uh, he would... Uh, so here, so I'm taking the uh, Clark bus to the ball game one day, right? Mm -hmm. The old double deuce, Clark 22, come down on the train from LaGrange Park, get on the Burlington. So I'm taking the Clark 22. I'd go there so often, I would try different routes. I'd get tired of maybe the old red line, the Howard, or the brown line here in the loop, uh, get off at Belmont, uh, Fullerton Exchange for right. the uh, Howard red line. Uh, they start the Ravenswood. Right. So one day, I'm just going to take the Clark bus. I'm like, you know, eighth grade. So I walked down down here from Union Station, get on the 22. So I'm taking the Clark bus down. Uh, Clark Street was terrible back then. Before, like, they built Sanford Vill Village around, like, between, uh, oh, from uh, Division to, like, North. It was, a, they used to call it Skid Row. Anyway, so I'm now at, a, at about 3,400 North Clark. It's about 1030 in the morning. No one's going to Cubs games. I'll get a couple thousand people. They open the gates up three hours early. So I'm on the bus. I'm eighth grade, and the bus, uh, there's a stoplight before you get to Clark and Addison. It's uh, like a funny three-way there. It's still there, the stoplight, Newport, uh, Waveland, uh, and uh, Clark. Uh -huh. The picture, it's a triangle, six-stoplight corner or whatever. 
And uh, about the 30 of 500 block, I see three hours before the game. Here's there's Yosh walking south. There's Yosh walking on Clark Street. Away from the ballpark. Away from the ballpark, thank you. With a big white duffel bag over his shoulder. He had to wash the uniforms. He's going to a coin-operated laundromat. There you go. That used to be there, where the bagel place is like now. It's mm-hmm. over there. And I'm looking out the window. I'm going, that's that Yosh Kawano that Jack's always talking. I find out years later that they only had like one washing machine, and it was broke half the time, or it wasn't enough to do more than a couple, one load. He's walking like he's got the uniforms yeah. over his shoulder, a bag full, walking the little guy. He came, was a little man. Came yeah. his big bag of uniforms. He's got probably got a pocket full of quarters or maybe back then dimes. And he's wa- going to wash. So Mr. Wrigley didn't have to buy another, uh, you know, washing machine. Probably didn't want to tell Mr. Wrigley for afraid he might get fired. He was in charge of all the, well, yeah, he was in charge of all the uniform numbers. Yep. He would only give 35 and 37 for like 30 years, 40 years, to left-handed pitchers. Huh. I don't, I just know that by watching. Finally, you go, you know what? Any lefty that comes up, he gives him 35 or 37. Uh, number 43 was the tent. The biggest guy would come up, he'd give him number 43. Because he, he, the big tent uniform would fit him. And uh, like number 44, Phil Cavretta, he, he retired it on his own for over 20 years till Bert Hooten came back. There were no retired numbers back then. Right. When uh, Kenny Hubbs died tragically, the young second Mason airplane crash, Provo, Utah, number 16. He didn't issue it for about uh, 10, 15 years. He retired it on his own. He hated the number 13. He didn't use it for like 20 years. And he gave it to a guy named Bill Fall, a crazy guy that talked to himself and hypnotized himself. And then number one. Never gave it out, only to a little guy. But Richie Ashburn came from the Phillies with his famous number one. Larry Boa, he finally gave it to. And then Davey Martinez, he finally gave it to. Vote now, last chance to vote. We're going to break down more of the Cubs' exciting win yesterday. Jesse Rogers in a a few minutes, top of the hour. Vote now, last chance. Who's at fault? Darvish, Theo, both of them, neither of them. Back in a flash, Murph and Freddie, ESPN 1000. And Hayward with a man on. And he drives one out in the right. Get him! Toward the wall! Get him! <laughs> Cubs on the board on a two-run blast from Jason Hayward. The red-hot Jason Hayward up to 281. Home run there. Courtesy NBC Sports Chicago does bottom of the third inning. Cubs were down 3-0. Two-run shot. Month of June, he's hit, got three homers, 14 RBIs, hitting 306, 346 on base, and 500 slugging. Remember uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, what the number would be if he uh, if he kept playing like he was playing? That's and, right. He'd be hitting 421 at the end of the year. In fact, that was the uh, uh, beginning of the uh, what if segment. What if he keeps doing what he's doing? And Fred calculated what for? 421. <laughs> Welcome. Step aside, Splendid Splinter. Welcome back. That'd be Ted Williams to all you uh, uh, youngins out there. Uh, let's bring in Big Bad Sean with the results, Sean, of our fan focus group Twitter poll from the first half hour. Who's at fault for all this uh, you Darvish <clears throat> stuff? Uh, Darvish, Theo, both of them or neither of them. Fred, I'm going to say uh, I would probably vote for... Uh, People aren't going to like this. And Theo is the one that gave him the, hey, here's $126 million, the big dog and pony show. We had a long meeting with him. He spoke English, so we love him. Not unlike when Jim Hendry got snookered 
as the old word I still like to use, uh, by Milton Bradley. Remember? Yep. Jim Henry had dinner with Milton Bradley. Oh, what a nice young man, and everything's going to be great. And he told me that he's going to change his ways, and yeah. we all know where that went. They all get snookered from time to time. So, uh, frankly, you know, if, if you're Darvish and someone says, here's a $26 million and everyone's going to love you, you want to sign right here? Yes or no? Okay, give me the pen. But uh, it's going to be about uh, 80%, I'm guessing, Darvish is at fault. I'm uh, saying both. Really? Yeah, All right. I'm saying both. That's probably a, the right answer. Uh, Sean? 34% of the people that voted say neither. Leading that's the, the biggest way. one. Is that the leading? 34% that's the leading vote. Well, 34%. Well, I, I'm not that good with numbers, but that means it's, we got it it's sort of all bunched up. What it came is. in second? Second, both 27%. Yep. Following that, 22% for you, Darvish. And bringing up the rear, 17% for Theo. Naturally. I'm telling you. No one wants to blame Theo. No, it's, it's amazing. He's the golden child. No. It's really amazing. He got you World Series, but it doesn't mean you can't criticize him for other moves. I can die in peace now is my T-shirt after the World Series. So thank you, Theo. Thank you. We'll uh, get into the Darvish situation a little bit later. Vote right now. Jesse Rogers in a few minutes, top of the hour. 9.30, Twitter poll. Oh, I like this one too, Fred. If... The, everyone said nationally's going DH. Uh-huh. Nationally's going to go DH. Couple years, couple years. So let's hear what you say. If the National League adopts adapts the designated hitter, you will A, B, or C. Are you Darvish or are you the people? If the NL adapts the DH, you will A, watch more baseball. B, watch less baseball. C, watch the same amount of baseball. Vote right now at ESPN 1000. So, Fred, uh, you pulled up the number I didn't know about a half hour ago. El, uh, El, uh, Albert Elmore Jr., second in the National League in hitting right yep. now, 324, uh, has not uh, walked, drawn a walk uh, in about 80 uh, plate appearances. You had his on base uh, a few minutes ago. 363. That's not too shabby, dear nope. Abby. Nope. But uh, he's been playing center field like he's always been advertised. Uh, he's tremendous out there. He is so laid back and casual when it's a can of corn. Uh-huh. I mean, even the last out of the game. Remember when we were kids? Two hands, two hands to catch a ball. Well, that went by the wayside many years ago. Yeah, he likes to, he likes to catch the ball like shoulder high yes yeah off to the side yes. shoulder high and he turns his body and catches it and the final out it. of the game yeah and uh you know the cubs were still up by four but there's a man on base or you know, it was two on two out how about this hunk of garbage wilson comes in you don't want to have to go to tomorrow if you don't have to uh, joe had used him just to get the dust off the rust off rather uh, in la for uh, one or two batters the day before but you know you bring wilson in you're up uh, uh what 10 to 5 to clean up the ninth inning base hit then a, a ground ball double play. Looks like he's out of trouble. Then a double, a walk, and a single. He's got to bring in Morrow, uh, first and second, uh, uh, two out. He gets a, the pop-up now to center field. And Fred, as you just described it, so Elmora sort of comes half-speed trotting in a little bit uh, into his left, like aimed towards where the second baseman is. And Fred, he, he puts the ball this time, I want to say almost belt high yeah. on the left side, or maybe like you said about shoulder high. Yeah. And it was as casual as you've ever seen. 
And that's what he does. It, he it, does. it scares you. It does. And then there's another. I was here, sitting here yesterday with Tom Waddle. We were watching the game during a commercial break. And uh, he likes to go to the ground a lot. <laughs> he'll catch the ball I mean, where he could just run through the ball. Right. But he'll like right before he catches it, he'll he'll take a slide. Now, with the men on base, I understand why he's doing it because he wants to be able to stop quicker. And that's, that, true. that's a brilliant move by an outfielder. Strategic move, yes. But if it's the last out of an inning or there's nobody on base, catch the ball. No. Just keep running. You know, I was. But he's catching them, so I'm, I'm not complaining. I I'm know. just saying he's a showman. I was and in... that's what you want to see when you're a baseball fan. You want to see a show off. Hey, Murph and Fred, we got a special guest on line one for you. Welcome to the machine. That can only be one guy. John Dewan, the man with the numbers from BaseballInfoSolutions.com instead of TheWeek.com. Unexpected surprise guest. Hello, John Dewan. Hey, Murph and Fred, how you guys doing? Doing great, John. What's well, up? You know what? There's only one thing better than a hey. scheduled appearance by John Dewan. The surprise appearance by John Dewan. Fans, here's the guy with the numbers. Talked about you a little bit earlier today, along with Bill James, the godfathers of statistical analysis uh, and as a metrics, saber metrics. You know what? 99% of people, John, they don't even know what saber stands for. Society of American Baseball Research. Research, but it's become part of the nomenclature. How are you today, and what the heck do you got for us? Hey, I'm doing really good, and it's hot weather, which means hot baseball, which means lots of runs and lots of home runs. So <laughs> the next week, look out, Murph, we're going to see a lot of scoring in baseball. Yeah, right. all over but the place is going to be really hot. I wanted to turn your attention, Murph. You've been on a rampage uh-huh. since April 6th. 1973. What happened on that day, April 6, 1973? DH. That's right. The, the beginning Wolford. of the designated hitter rule, which to this day I rue the day. You rue the day, Murph. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's some call again for, hey, let's bring DH into both leagues. And uh, I know that you're like, uh, you can't stand in the. So I wanted to give you some numbers so you can mull it over even further. What do you say? Good. Let me just set the table. Uh, uh, Fred, you know that this has been something I've always said. The only argument that the uh, pro-DH doesn't hit her people have is, I hate to see the pitcher bit. I hate to. I said, okay, give me a second reason, and then maybe I'll listen to you. Now, I love the fact that I'm out of step, Charlie. I, I, I love the fact I'm almost the last man standing. You know, it's almost embarrassing. Well, Grandpa Murph, stop doing this. We hate seeing the pitcher bent. Well, here's something you would I would think you would hate if you were watching the Cub game yesterday. Bases loaded, two mm-hmm. outs, and here comes Montgomery. Now, Joe had La Stella in the on-deck circle, but... Uh, this was uh, early in the game, I think. Oh, well, that yeah. was later. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Okay. But, John, I've got... I always say I've got logic, and the DH lovers... Don't have logic other than I don't want to see the pitcher hit. So I remember 20, 15, 20 years ago, I asked you once, you know, it's not the DH, Fred. It's not the DH, John. He ne- he only replaces uh, the, the worst hitter, the pitcher, by, and they usually bat him three, four, or five in the old days, right, John? He used to bat the DH and still usually does in the middle of the order. That was the initial idea back in that 73. Was the idea. Get your- 
get another big bopper in there who can't run anymore, but he can still hit and uh, right. put him up high in the lineup. Yep, but, yep. but what nobody ever says, the 99 percenters of you out there, no one ever talks about the fact you still got a guy hitting ninth in the American League. He's not the pitcher anymore, but he's a ninth hitter that normally is terrible. John, Fred, everybody, the other day I went through quick every box score in the American League, and here were the batting averages. I don't No one cares about batting averages. Hey, it, it's all I had time to do, everybody. So, Fred, John, here's the batting averages uh, Wednesday, Thursday, last uh, this week, of the guys that hit number nine. In other words, the hitters that replaced the pitcher, not the DH, because he'd be in there anywhere, anyway, most likely. 222. 167, 230, 181, 247, wow, 213, 225, 228. These are the number nine hitters in your American League. 209, 121, 199, 229, 287, get him out of there, 214 and 208. So my contention is you're not improving the game at all when you have a real guy batting ninth in the American League. So, John, I remember years ago, I said, what are the number nine hitters bat in the National League? And what are the number nine hitters bat in the American League? And I thought it might be time to update that. Looking at these numbers I just gave you, I think we're going to be in for a little bit of a shocker. What do you have, my friend? All right, all right. So I'm, I'm going to add some fuel to your fire, Murph. I'm going to give you some uh, some fuel that will really put you in rage and get you <laughs> flamed up. And then I'm going to douse it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm ready. Give me the good news first. Yeah. All right, so you're absolutely right. The number nine hitter in American League, you had it on the head. The The average batting average of the number nine hitter is 219. That is really bad. Um, And let's go to the stat that I, you know, I really like OPS. Right. And uh, so the OPS is on base plus slugging. Uh, league average batting average has been around 255 over the last few years. League average on base about 325. League average slugging 425. Mm-hmm. So that makes a league average about 750 OPS. So that's your that's your key number, your frame of reference. 750 OPS is league average. Best hitters up around 900, even over a thousand, like Trout and Betts right now. Sure. Um, but uh, 750. Okay, so the number nine hitter hits 219, 621 OPS. So that is pretty pathetic. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, it, you know, it's the strategy, right? I mean, you're not getting any strategy in the American League. And here's evidence of that. American League teams average games. American League games average 1.0 pinch hitters per game. The National League game, three pinch hitters per game. So you're getting mm-hmm. three times as many pinch hitters, you know, mm-hmm. which makes sense. You're pinch hitting for the pitcher. And, in fact, the American League pinch hitters only have a 590 OPS, so they're not even very good. Okay. National League hitters, a little bit better. They're up at 650 OPS. Did you happen so, to have the uh, National League number nine uh, slot? Because here's what people forget, Fred. John, oh, I hate watching the pitcher hit. I remember about 20 years ago, John, you did the numbers, and in an average game, 
in the National League, both teams, right? The pitcher actually comes to the plate and bats like about four and a half, five times. In other right. words, the, the team that's leading after the uh, fifth inning, maybe the pitcher bats the third time. And the team that's trailing, the pitcher never bats more than twice because they're going to pinch hit for him. So maybe... Yeah, that's right, Murph. Uh, in fact, in 2013, it was almost near five times per game that the pitcher was hitting 4.74. Mm-hmm. But now, with you know the new strategy of some, some teams are bullpenning, where they're yes. starting the... First inning and having a guy an inning or go an inning or two and then they pinch it. I knew this. I knew this was coming, Fred. Now the National League. Now it's five and dive. The starting pitcher goes five and they get him out of there. He doesn't go six or seven. So that means how many times does a pitcher actually? I hate watching the pitcher bat, Murph. Oh, it's so boring. Uh, How many times does it happen? So yeah, you're down from the four point seven four in 2013. You're down to four point two nine. So. Yeah, that pitcher's coming to the plate less and less. He's um, coming to the plate two times for each team. He might sacrifice bunt once, then he's out of there. So now, instead of a guy in the American League hitting 219, 222 in the nine hole, you're going to have pinch hitters who are really, in the National League, established hitters that are going to be able to compensate now for the four stinking at-bats with the pitcher. Now you're going to have four more at-bats with real hitters instead of what you're seeing in the American League when they're hell hitting 212. All right, Murph, cool off, cool off. Man. Oh, I, I knew it. I you. knew it was coming. <laughs> cool off now, Murph. All right. Take it easy. Take it easy. Sit down. Sit down. All right. Okay. So here's, here's some information on the other side. So the other side is, well, it's not the ninth place hitter that is replacing the pitcher. It is the DH that is replacing the the pitcher. I mean, in theory, you probably want to compare the ninth place hitter in the National League to, or in the American League to the eighth place hitter. All right. But the key is the AL designated hitters. They hit on average about twenty or thirty OPS points higher than the league average. So these the, the AL designated hitters generally are better hitters. All right. And this year they're about thirty points ahead of uh, the average overall. In OPS, so they are better hitters. There is, you know, they are adding some offense to the game. They're losing strategy, but they are losing offense. All right. And then you then you go to the pitchers hitting. Okay, pitchers hitting. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is down, but it is, you know, you're looking at over four times a game. You All right. Watch that pitcher hit. So the league OPS is 750. What do you think? Pitcher hitting OPS is. Well, I'm not good. About uh, 200. <laughs> That's right. It's 279. So they hit one. They're hitting 108 this. Year. Okay. But, well, 141 on base and 138 slugging. But, so, but from the my final position. All right. Is, okay. I like it exactly the way it is. I love having the strategy <laughs> of the. Of the, of, you know, having the pitcher bat and, and pinch hitting and double switches and stuff that in the NL. And I love having the DH in the AL. So mark me down for keeping it just <laughs> as it is. I hear your music in the background. Welcome to the machine. Pink Floyd for 20, 25 years, John's music. But I'll leave you with this one, John. The DH in the American League most of the time, because he's such a good hitter, as you pointed out, He'd be in the, on the field. 
They'd shoehorn him in there. He would still be batting. And they'd have the pitcher ninth, and they'd pinch it for him. He'd only come up four times. And you know what? I'll make it his argument, or a theory, rather, for next time. There might be more runs scored in the American League without the DH. Why? Because the lousy fielder, who is the DH, might be plunked out there in the field, and balls would be flying all around because the big lummox couldn't get to it. And you might have, could you possibly, here's, all right, for your next uh, stat of the week, could you possibly (laughs) score more runs in the American League without the DH? Because there'd be balls flying all over because that big goof would be stuck somewhere on the field to get his bat in. All right? All right. Sounds good. That'll be my homework assignment. Thanks a lot, bro. An unexpected guest, John DeWan. Thanks, John. Check him out at Stat of the Week. Type package on StatOfTheWeek.com and BaseballInfoSolutions.com. Jesse Rogers in a few minutes. And we're going to talk about how Mike Montgomery's outing yesterday was terrific, even though his line, line score, doesn't look so good. Back in a flash, last chance for you to vote right now. If the NL adapts the DH, will you A, watch more baseball, B, watch less baseball, C, watch the same amount? Vote at ESPN 1000. Eight, five in the seventh. I drive to center. That ball carrying. And it's gone. On the top of the batter's eye. His 16th. Uh, you know, of late, he's been doing a lot of damage center field. That's a great sign. Home run, Schwerbaum. You know what? Those guys kind of undersold it. And I know it's TV, and I know everybody's watching it, but that, that ball was blasted. That's one of the deepest footballs I've seen hit at center field at Wrigley Field yeah. since uh, Will Clark against Maddox back in the playoffs. Well, you don't see many balls, uh, wind or no wind, land up there. Obviously, the 15-mile-an-hour blowing out yeah. had a big effect. But nevertheless, it was a little undersold. But uh, the highlights there is always uh, N- uh, NBC uh, Sports, Sports Chicago. Chicago. Thank you, Fred. And that put the Cubs up 9-5. to five. We'll talk about that in a moment with Jesse Rogers. And we're gonna, did you hear what... Uh, 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 JD, uh, JD, JD said there, uh, not Jeff Dickerson, Jim Deshays. He said Schwarbs has been going, going center. Up, up to yeah. center more. Center and left center, he's, he has most of the year, it seems. When Jesse joins us, I'm going to talk with Jesse and you and Fred, everybody, about what turned this around for the Cubs was the game they lost Monday in Los Angeles when everybody was trying to jack the ball and they rolled over to grounders to short and outside pitches. Almora, uh, definitely uh, one of them, Russell. And then everyone has sort of forgotten that pre-game meeting that Chili Davis called on Tuesday before the Tuesday night game. I guarantee you, he read the riot act to these guys, and ever since, they've been going with the pitch. And we'll point that out and break it down and find out what Jesse has uh, cooking on. Uh, Darvish, uh, Morrow back, uh, Edwards uh, pitched uh, an inning, I guess, looked pretty good, two strikeouts last night in Des Moines. So he'll be due back. Bryant progressing, scheduled. He can come off the uh, DL Tuesday. So Jesse and all that in a moment. Let's bring in Big Bad Sean. Can't wait to hear how you voted if the national league i'm the one percenter i'm going to turn this around i'm going to turn you all around someday 
Maybe. If the NL adapts the DH, you will uh, watch more, watch less, watch the same amount. What the fans... Tell me, give it to me from the bottom up, would you please? Well, 6% of the fans said they're going to watch less baseball. 18% of the fans said they will watch more baseball. And 76% yeah. said that they will watch the same amount of baseball. 18 stinking percent will watch more. Uh, 6% was it? We'll watch, we'll watch less. less. So that's a gain of what? 12%? I can do that one in my head. They're going to gain 12% by making up this big change. We'll see. We'll see if cooler heads prevent. Joe Madden would be great, though, Fred. He'll be manipulating this. He'll turn a DH into a rest day. In other words, rest sure. these guys. He won't have a DH. He'll have a cont- Every day will be a different DH. He'll have a day off. So, you know what? It's not accomplishing. I don't think what anyone thought it would. We talked to John Dewan. Jesse Rogers next. Hey, vote right now. Uh, Tom Ricketts. Oh, I like this one. Vote now. Multiple choice. Tom Ricketts will tire a big bucks free agents. A, never. Murphy loves it. B, he's wondering right now. What's going on with all this money? C, the bank might close. Or D, the bank is closed right now when he starts looking at the dough going out the front door. Or, but there's a lot of dough coming in the front door. Jesse next, Murph and Fred, glad you're with us. Hot Saturday, we'll keep it hot with you too right here at ESPN 1000. One, two, three, four, Trace Quattro, Murph and Fred. One minute away from Jesse Rogers. Cubs win last, uh, yesterday, rather, I almost said last. How come... Well, before it ended, it was evening. How come, anytime there's a, a day game now, guys that are at the game doing radio, TV, everybody, so we're not pointing fingers. Well, tonight it's a, you know, the Cubs... No, you're at the park, it's a day game, but there's... It's like, I understand when the Bulls play the rare Sunday right. day game. Oh, they're inside. And they're they inside, yeah. and they go, well, tonight... The, but you're at the ballpark, it's 97 degrees of sunshine tonight... Here's uh, your Twitter poll question for 10 o'clock. Tom Ricketts, multiple choice. Tom Ricketts will tire of big bucks free agent money. A, never. He loves doing it. B, is wondering right now, what the heck, where's all this money going? C, you know, that bank just might close up a little. Or D, I bet the bank's closed right now after what's happening with the $126 million, at least to uh, Darvish, Fred, at least Hayward's starting to hit. We'll yep, visit. up to 280. Well, as Jesse Rogers, I'll tell you one thing. It's Saturday, and it's going to be hot at the ballpark. Jesse Rogers. It's Murph and Fred. Morning, Jesse. Fun day yesterday and uh, hot wind blowing out. That's baseball at Wrigley Field, my friend. It certainly is, and it, it means no games out of reach. You know, it looked bad early, but then the bats came alive late. I still liked how Montgomery battled. You know, that oh. lefty on lefty oppo home run. That's not it. That, that, that's good hitting as much as it is any, any sort of a bad pitch, and plus it was a good day to hit. So, I thought that obviously was the, the the key home run there, but then you know what the the Cubs did. We haven't seen a lot of home run, home run, home run, home run. So uh, this is something I've talked to Chili Davis a lot about, Murph and Fred. Mm-hmm. 
They want to, and Joe, they want to get to a point where they are as dangerous with the power as they are with the opposite, opposite, you know, field, small ball type of feel. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going in the right direction. I really do. I think that the power's down, but but the oppo field hitting is up, and I think the power will come back. We saw that yesterday. Jesse Rogers, along with Murph and Fred, uh, every Sunday we are here with you nine till noon. Uh, Jesse, let's go to, uh, I don't want to get too far in, in the weeds uh, here, sure. Fred, uh, Jesse, but, you know, it's easy to say, and we might have a lot of fans that, uh, you know, they love baseball, but and they don't get inside the X's and O's, but to go oppo, and uh, that means hit to the opposite field. It sounds simple, Fred. Uh, uh, you know, baseball, it's a thinking man's sport, as Ernie used to say, but it can be simple also. If the pitch is on the outside corner, you want to maybe go that way. Oppo. Go with it. If it's on the inside corner and or the wind's blowing out, then maybe you try to, to jack one up in the air. We have a soundbite in a moment, Big Sean will have, of Joe. Madden after the game uh, talking about this. But fellas, let's go back to Monday in Los Angeles. The Cubs lose 2-1. Two, two to one. It's the top of the eighth inning. Now stick with us here. I think Jesse knows where I'm going and Fred, you know where we're going here. Top of the eighth in LA. Cubs are trailing one to nothing. They're flat. It's not looking good. You always look flat when you're not hitting. Alright. The Cubs in the top of the eighth they get the first two men on, first and second, nobody out. Jesse, I started texting you, as you remember, about 10 minutes later, right? Hey, Russell. Yeah. Russell comes up, down by one, top of the eighth, first and second, uh, nobody, uh, nobody out. The lefty on the hill is throwing these wicked two-seamers, which means it runs away from a right-handed hitter. All right, everybody with me so far? You don't have to be really technical to understand that. So the lefty's ball, fastball's cutting back away the other direction because it's a two-seamer. The pitch is on the outside corner. Does Russell try to drive it to right? Maybe a ground ball, maybe get the runners over, maybe a gapper. No. He tries to pull the outside pitch that's breaking away from him and in parlance rolls it over. You can picture everybody what that means. Here's a weak ground ball to short. So weak, they can't even turn two. Force it second. So now it's first and third one out with Elmora coming up. Same thing. Right-handed hitter. Lefty throw in the two-seamer that's blending away, fading away. Same pitch. Outside corner fading away. Does he try to drive it to right field, right center? No. He tries to jerk it to left. Doing too much. He rolls it over again. This time hard enough for the 6-4-3 inning over. I'm going crazy. Text my old buddy Jesse Rogers. They said, these guys are stupid. They're dumb. They're trying to be the hero. They're trying to jack it. And then Tuesday, before the game, Chili Davis calls a pregame hitting meeting with the okay of Joe Madden. Here's Joe after the game yesterday. Now let's listen and see if we can fit all this together. The terrible at-bats Monday, then the, the team meeting, and Joe after the game uh, yesterday. Him and Albert. Russell. Uh, Javi, um, J-Word, um, primarily I think Contreras too, using the other side of the field. If you want to know their ascension, it's it's not... It's no more difficult than looking at that. If you want to play with the small part of the field, you're limited. If you want to play with the big part of the yard, you, you become as good as you can. And that's what's going on right now. I love big part of the yard. 
All right, stop the tape. Jesse, the big part of the yard, that means where they're not shifting or where there's usually more room. Oppo, uh, break down what Joe said after you first tell us if you think that those Monday at-bats uh, were maybe or probably the reason that Chili Davis finally popped his cork. I will say that. Maybe it was very evenly tempered and professional. I got a feeling you read these guys a riot act Tuesday, but whatever. It's not a coincidence. I think you're 100% right. I don't, know, I don't always say that to you, Murph. Mm-hmm. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think as you're texting me, maybe, maybe uh, Chili slid <laughs> into my text uh-huh. messages or something because I think as exasperated as you were, he was as well. And you've seen not just yesterday, but better at bats since Monday. Yep. I mean, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all better at bats. Forget about the results and wins and losses, though they're three and one since then. I, I think you hit the nail on the head, and that's why I said I like the way it's going. But I've also often said they're not playoff ready. They hope they are by October. It's a six month exercise in trying, or seven month in trying to transform this offense to be a little bit more dynamic, uh, diversify, use the power when it's there. Go oppo when that, that, then the need is there, when the pitcher gives it to you. In fact, that's what Joe talks about. It's really not up to you. It's up to the pitcher. The pitcher serves you the home run. The pitcher serves you the oppo hit. Now, you can adjust and do different things, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Sure. You get a cookie, hit that out. You get that slider fading away or, or whatever the case may be, change up fading away, hit, hit it to right field. Or if you're J- Jason Hayward, who has now matched his uh, – Opposite field hits from last year's total. Wow, he's already matched it. And wow. we're only in. Uh, we're, we're on June thirtieth. So. Good number. I did not. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. So you're seeing the things that they brought Chili Davis in for. You're seeing it work, but not all the time because it, it takes a lot to change habits. So that's why you get a game like last Monday, and it doesn't hurt to have a little meeting every once in a while. You can't do it every week because then it gets old. But this is something they're working on, and it will look bad at times. But if there's more good than bad, you'll go to the playoffs. And then if you're ready for it all, come playoff time, you'll hit a few home runs. You'll get a few opposite field hits. Maybe you get a bunt single like Javi did in a recent game. That's what you want out of this offense. I can't stress that it's enough from Joe. Sometimes you want to take out that six iron. Sometimes you want to take out that driver. Um, I never use my I never use my six iron or my four <laughs> iron. I'm an odd iron guy. Well, that's Joe. He's kind of odd. So he, he, it's not surprising he'd, he'd mention the six. But um, yeah. you want to use every iron in sure. the bag, including the driver. It's not easy, Murph and Fred. You know this. It's not easy when there's four pitchers in the game. Mm. The starter's one thing, but then the mm. three relievers from Josh Hader to Corey Canale, you know, they're all throwing 96, 97. It's not easy, but you, you want to get as close as you can to being that dynamic offense when October comes, that's what they're working Jesse, on. Jesse, that was great. The numbers. Uh, what was the Hayward Oppo number again you gave us a minute ago? He had, 20, he had 23 last year, okay. opposite field hits. Yeah. He has 23 this year. He might be 22, that's, but it's one of these either amazing. right there or one below. But that's he's amazing. already reached it. We're not even in July. I did not know that. Thank you for <laughs> teaching me that. I did not know that. See, Thank you, Tracy. Now everybody knows, Jess. Uh, hey, Jess, you know, we talked so much this year about Albert Elmora, where he's going to hit, when he's going to play, and and w- the biggest thing was, and I know I've heard, I can't 
tell you how many times I heard you say that Joe's concerned about how he does against right-handers. I'm looking here, and he's hitting 330 against right-handers this year. And because of that, he's second-best average. I know people don't care about average. Second-best batting average in the National League. Say that again. I want to hear that again. 330 against right-handed hitters. Second-best. Second-best only behind Scooter Jeanette in the National League in batting average. Second in the National League in batting. Yeah, he's got a 363 on base, a 454 slugging. He's actually hitting better against righties average-wise than he is against lefties. Now now do you think we can get him out at least five games a, a, a week out in center field? Yeah, I mean, look what it's been. It's kind of been three out of four, I think. I mean, lately at least. And I think in the most important times of the year later on, he'll he'll certainly be out there. But you go back to Joe and his philosophy. He doesn't bury guys. If you're if you're a bench player like Lestelle, that's one thing. But uh, you know, think about Hayward. I mean, he's come back. Hap has kind of come back. Hap's on base is pretty darn good considering you know the swing and miss that he has. But Almore has ascended. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I think he will he will certainly get in the three out of four, four out of five, and definitely September, October, you're going to see uh, Almora Roman center field for defense as much as offense, and he's got both ends of the ends of the game going right now. It's, really actually, it's actually a shame that Hap's getting better uh, in June. His he, This is his best month of the year. He's hitting 250. And he walks. Well, yeah. His on base is big. He's got 16 walks. He had 17 in the month of May. So wow. Wait, over, wait, what? Yeah, 16 walks in June, 17 in the month of May. So, oh, yeah. yeah, he's Starting to, starting to get on base, which is nice to see. Jesse, we'll get to the uh, disabled list and the injury updates in a moment uh, from uh, uh, Darvish and uh, uh, Bryant. And last night, I know Edwards uh, threw a pretty good uh, inning at Iowa. But let's take a look as you uh, foreshadowed a moment ago. Mike Montgomery. Now, he picks up a uh, W. He left the game trailing, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, then the uh, grand slam, he was still the pitcher of record, so he got the W. But 97 pit. Now, see, if you look at his box, not so hot. Five innings, seven hits, five runs, three Ernie's, uh, two walks, five Ks, 98, 98 pitches. But here's what happened uh, yesterday. And the wind was blowing out for both teams. So please, everyone, take me for what I'm saying. I'm just talking about Montgomery. I know that Russell's Grand Slam was a wind-blown pop-up. So that's not the point. Let's look at Montgomery. All right. Here he comes in to uh, the second inning. All right. No score. They're in the uh, sixth hole. Uh, Kepler leads off a clean base hit. Now, who's playing second Zobrist? Because Javi's with the uh, the birthing uh, birth of his uh, baby. Right. Yeah, he came and pinched it later in the game. So Zobrist doing his great job, uh, 100% work. He's at second base. Now listen, everybody. Kepler on first, nobody out. Some guy named Garver, right-handed, hits an oppo nine-hopper through the infield between first and second. Uh, Baez would have had it in his hip pocket for easy out at first, probably not a force at second, but that would have been one out. Zoe doesn't have the range, and maybe could have uh, laid out for it, Jesse, but I don't think he would have got him. Point is, now you got a man on first, man on second, but that should have been one out man on second. If you're regular, I know what if, where's my what if, Bell? It's not what happened, but this is looking only at Montgomery. Only at Montgomery. Mm-hmm. So instead of man in second and one out, he, he uh, uh, then proceeds to get a pop out and the pitcher strikes out. The inning would be over, right? Well, no, because that's only two out. And then Maurer comes up with the wind-blown 361-foot uh, pop-up to left for a three-run homer. I know Russell's was wind-blown. If you, didn't you hear me a minute ago, everybody? Point is, Jesse, <laughs> that should have been out of the inning. Now... 
the next time in the fourth he gives up two runs also, right? Well, it was a leadoff single by Garver. Then it's a bunt, uh, attempt for a bunt hit, and uh, Montgomery throws the ball away. Runners advance. And again, batting with two out when he sh- the inning should have been over his mower. He gets a clean uh, two-run double. No earned runs there. Point is, every one of the three earned runs and the five runs he gave up were tainted. And I'm not saying again anything. He gave them up. Point is... He had a great outing now after four innings, 74 pitches. He's dripping like mad, hot and humid. We know that Joe was going to hit for him, but he didn't want to lift him for La Stella because now there's only a man on third and not two men on. And he goes another laborious, laborious fifth inning. Doesn't give up any runs. Leaves with the bases loaded, two out. He leaves after gets a pop-up, as Joe said was a play thing. He goes 97, 98 pitches. He gets the victory. It was unsung because of the four homers and because he had these messy or dirty innings. Great, great observations. Really was. I mean, and those are the moments. I think of the Zobrist one you're mentioning, the, the first one that got by. You know, where uh, we don't talk about when the shift works, we, but we certainly notice it when it doesn't work. And Zobrist was way over on that one. And you're right. Either way, Baez would have had that. But that, and that's why I opened when I came on. But with the fact that he battled, he absolutely battled. And I will tell you, the best thing to happen to Mike Montgomery right now is these two off days coming up. Mm. He gets two extra days off. He needs it. He's starting to tire a little bit. And even knowing that, I mean, I should say knowing that, I love the way he battled because you could just tell he entered the rotation midseason here, right? He has not had one extra day off. It's been five days, five days, five days, five days. Mm. Finally, he gets two extra days off. He needs it. It's not easy. Yeah. You know, your arm starts to get used to it, but only after a while. You, you, I think after three starts, he started to get tired. And since then, it starts four, five, and six here, whatever it is, he has felt it a little bit and battled without his best right. stuff. He's navigated right. traffic. So I think two days off this week. He won't pitch again until next Friday. He'll pitch I think Friday. That's huge. On six days off. He'll pitch Friday on six days off. Cincinnati at home. Chatwood will pitch Saturday on six days off at home with the Reds. Lester will pitch Sunday with six days off at home versus uh, the Reds because of a weird off days Monday and Thursday. We we criticize a lot on this show, right? We do this. That's how we are as as a fan base. But I will tell you, everything Mike Montgomery has done has been Overly impressive. And I wasn't even the biggest Mike Montgomery fan as a starter until what I saw and talked to him and all these other things. I just, I can't say enough about him. I think he's battled great uh, when he's had uh, less than great stuff, or he simply had great stuff and used it and thrown first pitch strikes like he did in those first three or four starts. Can't say anything bad about Mike Montgomery, not well, in my he, mind. He also could say, I told you <laughs> I could be a yeah. starter. And, you know, he, he had, you know his last outing was a little rough. And like you said, if you look at the numbers, yesterday wasn't great. But if you break it down and you watch the game, you realize what he did. And, you know, without Mike, Mike Montgomery, they're, they're in big trouble because the chat big would be in gone. Well, chat would be in gone because of the birth of his child and everything else. And now Chatwood's back today. We'll see how that turns out. Um, I know Cub fans got their fingers crossed, hoping he comes back and actually had some time away and uh, he gets to relax and go out there and throw the ball. It, it, it'll be interesting. Now, he threw while the team was out of town, but, you know, throwing off the side without anybody around and skipping start, I, I yeah. don't know what to expect today. But, but the thing is, I've, I was saying all along, you can't fix Chatwood if he has to pitch every five days. 
it's too hard. And he had to do that because they didn't have a lot of depth and, and Darvish was down. So now he gets away for a week. Not that he worked on stuff when the baby was born, but who knows? Maybe this, maybe the reverse will happen. You're hmm. just getting away instead of having to pitch every five days while he's struggling. Now, I, I'm not expecting you know great things today because he's been a little bit distracted and away from the team and, and, and all that stuff, but you never know. Getting away from the field may have been the best thing for him. We'll see because nothing else has worked so far. And I will say when Darvish is healthy, if Chatwood is still struggling – I would give him a break or two. I would give him a turn off uh, the rotation or two to get his mind mind right and work on some things in the bullpen with Jim Hickey and then insert him back in as a sixth man. That's what I would do. Let's slide a caller in for Jesse Rogers. Uh, Take a look here at the injury report. Tammy's next. She wants to talk to Jesse. Tammy, go. Hi. I'm really impressed with what I'm seeing on the offense of the Cubs. I feel that we will eventually overtake the Brewers. What bothers me is the U Darvish situation. What happens if his arm just never gets better? And is it possible that the Cubs can have a part in the mix of getting Jacob DeGrom? Thanks, Tammy. Well, that's about the, and a great call, Tammy. Thank you. That's probably about the 253,142nd time I've heard someone say, they got no one to trade. Why does yeah. everyone, who are they going to trade? They to find, trade Addison Russell the way he's hitting. You, well, you got to put more than that in, no? And then you, and then you don't have a backup shortstop. Uh, you're right, Fred. That would be part with, of it. Who's going to play a shortstop, Bellius? Uh, who's going to play there's, second? There's a guy in New York that was saying that, uh, everybody's talking about DeGrom and Syndergaard. You could probably go Zach Wheeler, who's actually healthy right now for a little bit less. Jesse, MLB.com had the uh, top 100 uh, prospects the other day, zero Cubs. How, how are you going to trade anybody for anything? You're not. You're not. You're not getting DeGrom or Syndergaard. You just, you just can't do it. Those guys are a package of five with three A-type prospects, uh, maybe a major league ready guy. That's what you get for either one of those guys. Come on. Uh, you, you can't do it. You uh, can't get either one of who those. Who do you trade you for, uh, for Chapman? Shields? You your deal who for do you Kintana. trade? Excuse me. Who do you trade then for Shields or like Wheeler, as Fred said? Right. I mean, uh, that, I mean, who knows? You can put a package of double A guys. I can't give you all the names, but they don't have a, anybody in the top one hundred. You don't just yeah. put a package together. Well, but Shields. But Shields. If you're going to get a guy like Shields, that's a C. That's a C pickup. You bring. You give back. C plus uh, prospects. I mean, let, let's face it. You're not getting the world. Mm-hmm. You're not giving up the world for James Shields, but you're certainly going to have to give up a lot for Degrom or Syndergaard. It's, well, it's, that's it's out of the question. That's out of the question. Now, I've heard people Caratini. I think Cap. You know, Caratini's having a terrific year. The uh, backup switch hitting catcher having a great year right now at Iowa. Just tearing it up. You know, Iowa. But he's tearing it up better than not hitting at Iowa. You all know what I mean. But. They got no backup catcher anywhere. How could you trade him? That's the whole reason Jimenez is up because they didn't want to lose him. Right. So I, I, I yeah, you're, you're not making you're, their big deal. Big deals are done. They had their two times, and remember, they made big deals in the off season, meaning those free agent signings. You you can't go through every period, meaning the off season and July 31st, and expect the big deal to be done. They've done it for like three years in a row. I don't think they can do another one at this deadline. It just doesn't seem feasible. I think they like their position player base. I think that they need their position player base depth and all that stuff. Um, I, I, look, Montgomery is doing what Darvish should have been doing, so maybe right. he'll get away with it. Maybe Montgomery's a, a number three in the playoffs. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I don't think you can do much more than add depth to that rotation. It, I, I don't see some major addition. I really don't.
No, we had a really good uh, question yesterday, a good answer yesterday from Rick Sutcliffe. He was on with us. We asked him about uh, Kyle Hendricks. He says, I can't tell you what's going on with Darvish. He goes, but I can tell you what's going on with Hendricks. It seems like he's wor- pitching too much to the scouting report as opposed to pitching to his strengths. And he brought up a point where he's trying to beat guys with high fastballs and he's not doing it, not able to do it. And it came to mind, Jesse, and I know you were out there out in uh, Los Angeles, the yeah. Jack Peterson home run. When he right. Hendricks threw a high fastball, it was out of the zone, but it was in a 95 or 96 mile an hour fastball. It was something Jack Peterson can turn on, and he knocked it out of the park. I thought what Sutcliffe said was brilliant because it, maybe that's what Hendricks is doing, pitching to the scouting report, not throwing what he throws best. Well, that is an issue, um, not an issue, but that is something they, they battle because Mike Borzello's scouting reports are exactly that. They're about hitters' weaknesses. Right. And it's something Lester dealt with, Quintana dealt with. Like, how much do I want to go away from my strength to the hitter's weakness? They've and ruined him. They've ruined him. I'll tell you they've something. They've ruined Kyle Hendricks? Well, yeah. Here's why. I don't think so. Well, I don't think Jesse, so. Jesse, hold on. Hold on. Well, I was going to say Sparky, but then Cap's got a copyright on that one. <laughs> Jesse, the whole new yep. thing is they're all elevating the swing of the bat. They're supposed to throw higher so they can't elevate the low pitch. From the first week when he started giving up those home runs on high pitches, he never used to throw that uh, uh, pitch up high. Someone told him, throw him up high, and he's been doing it, and he's been getting tattooed. What, so you think he's doing well this year? I think they've ruined him. He can easily. No, I, I don't think he's doing well, but I don't think he's ruined. And well, if that's if, if that's they keep all doing it is, that, by the way, that someone would be Mike Borzello. I know by that. The way. I know exactly who it is. Yeah, if that if that's what they're doing, all you got to do is say, "Well, don't do that." Well, Let's but go they back haven't. To your strength. So that okay, mean he's ruined. How about this? So far, they have, and they can easily stop ruining him if they say, "Pitch the way you used to." There you know you what? You're, you're Greg Maddox, uh, uh, poor man's Greg Maddox. Yeah, did anybody ever tell Maddox to throw hot no, fastballs? No, because no. yeah. he threw him at 88 miles an hour. Well, but, take but, those but, numbers and stick them up their thin. Mike Borzello was giving him game plans the year that he had a two one three year. I know well. that's not no. This is that was then. This is now. This is I the know. new thing. They're out doing the uppercut, loft angle, all that garbage. They, right now, <laughs> it ain't working. And you're, just, you're the one that said it. it, it he's thrown all the high fastballs. He never did that before. Jesse, we're up against the clock, yeah. but that don't mean we're done. I loved your piece earlier this week. Let's eavesdrop. Miss a little, miss a lot. <laughs> you know when you're in L.A., Fred, you don't just have a masseur. I give you rub down. No, in L.A., you want a masseuse. Cap and Jesse talking about Elmora and the quad the other day, right? So hold on. He's got a strained quad. He can't run hard to first. He would have beaten it when the pitcher's throw was high. But he's going to be back in there in 24 hours playing center field in an expansive outfield in L.A. Let's see. He wants to be back in there. He he said by the uh, by post game they had gotten some work done on it. And was feeling better. Boy, that so must we'll be a see. miracle worker they got in that clubhouse. Jeez, they got a good they got a good masseuse. I don't know what I don't know what the work <laughs> they did on it. Only in L.A. at Chavez Ravine. They they bring the masseuse in for the guys. Jesse, everywhere else it's a masseur. I love your angle. <laughs> Uh, she travels with the team. I mean, that's full time. She's there all the time. Oh, for I them, didn't, so. Wait, I, I thought that was something. I thought that was a slip of the old uh, uh, Jesse tongue. Which no. was the worst exchange of trade? <laughs> Which was the worst exchange of okay, trade? A little, a little glitch there as we say goodbye. Jesse, just like when uh, you used to run the board every once in a while. Actually, I hit that, not Big Bad Sean.
I didn't more than know. once in a while when I did it. Trust me. So. <laughs> That's why you got off the board and let somebody else it. I did not know it. that. Uh, Thank you for was. teaching there me that. I did not know that. They do have a masseuse. My bad is Joe Madden doesn't like me to say. Jesse, you're That's the right. best. He's trying to get that out of the vernacular. You're right. Uh, yeah. don't go back to sleep. That would be good All if right, you got my that would be good if he got see you, Jess. That'd be good if he got my bad, and uh, yeah. that, that's uh, it is what it is. Those two can go away, if as far as I'm concerned. Murph and Fred halfway home. Uh, Phil Rogers, no relation to Jess. He'll join us a little bit later. I got a yellow pad full of notes. So does Fred. Back in a flash, it's Fred's notebook. Murph's yellow pad. We are ESPN 1000. Mike Murphy. Fred Hubner back together on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Fred Hubner crossing the 50. Second half, Murph and Fred. Glad you're with us. Yesterday, about the same as today, weather-wise, 97, 98, and humid. Good air conditioning weather. Stay inside. <laughs> Don't go outside. If you have to go outside, make sure you stay hydrated. And that's not with alcohol, because alcohol dehydrates you, for those who didn't know. I love your uh, line for many, many years. You uh, pulled it out of the old uh, hopper again yesterday, uh, your favorite day. Let me see if I can quote it, not to steal your thunders. Uh, 72 degrees uh, and cloudy. Yeah, 72 and overcast, <laughs> my, my favorite day. I mean, especially when we're in the studio here because oh, yeah. the sun is like just beating on it. We're, we're, like, yeah. we're like we're sitting here in a microwave mm-hmm. uh, in the studio today. Not that I'm complaining, uh, but it's, it's crazy how warm it is in here. And uh, the people outside just keep on walking by. They're all enjoying a beautiful day. Our, a lot of them heading out to Wrigley Field. I see Twins fans and Cubs fans. All hopping on the yell here. I uh, stole one of the uh, lines from our good buddy Paul Sullivan today uh, with a heat index of 106 degrees Friday. On the north side, the hottest place at Wrigley Field was probably inside the center field scoreboard. Yeah. There's no air conditioning up there, my friends. Oh, man, that's crazy. But Cub Walking, hitters. climbing up and down. Thank goodness there were no other games. Not to, well, by then 6 have, o'clock yeah, there by were. Six there yeah, by 6 there were, yeah. East Coast night games. But, Sully continues, Cubs hitters seem to thrive in the sauna-like environment uh, and uh, smacked four home runs and a 10-6 to victory uh, before a, here we go, microwaved crowd yeah. of 41,000-plus. Uh, so how hot was it? Sully says, so hot... They opened up 23 scoreboard innings windows to get some air circulating in the 81-year-old contraption where workers insert scores by hand every game. So hot that during Ian Happ's at-bat in the fourth inning, fans down the right field line and in the bleachers gave a loud ovation to a cloud. No, not uh, like Microsoft uh, uh, up in the cloud. It uh, wasn't an ordinary cloud, but one that momentarily blocked out the sun from beating down on them. The Cubs have had temperatures uh, that kept track for 30 years. They uh, played two games in 103 thermostat degree weather in uh, June of 88 and July of 95. But you know what? You sit out there, you drink some water, you have some fun, and uh, yeah, you know, and they, you'll and they be hit fine. four. They they hit four homers, and you're happy. Everybody's happy. They go home. Well, they don't go home happy. They they go to the bar outside. They're happy. Uh, they when they leave the facility. So well, Sox fans can do go to a bar. 
there's one. Well, there's the one across the there street. There might be one. Yeah, the taxpayers paid for. Yeah, there's one right there. And, and the one a about couple. a block and a half north on the other side of Armor Park, right? Yeah, and, and uh, right, you got mm-hmm. the Cork and Carry right over there. I did a show with over there with uh, with, yeah. with Carmen a while back. What well, that used to be called Jimbo's back in the yeah. day. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was good. yeah, and good but, you know, speaking of the White Sox, they uh, were mm-hmm. awful last night. Uh, Dylan Covey gives up yeah. uh, five, four homers, I think, and uh, they give up five altogether. The White Sox lose. The best thing about the White Sox game last night was Matt Davidson came in to pitch. Hmm. And uh, usually when a position player comes in to pitch, it's a guy, you know, it's a joke. He hasn't done much. After the game, hmm. he says it was a dream come true because all the way through high school, yeah. he was a pitcher. Uh, he was a pitcher in a DH. He was never a position player. He threw ni- uh, he had ninety one on the clock. He hit ninety two. Well, it's ninety one nine. So he hit, right. he hit ninety two miles right. an hour. Uh-huh. And uh, he struck out Runet Odor on a on an off speed pitch, and uh, you know to get a strikeout, something Dylan Covey couldn't do in two and a third innings. Covey, after uh, three or four really good games in a row, mm. he's had two real clunkers, two yeah. and a third yesterday, eight hits, nine runs, and I know you shouldn't play. I mean, he's got to make up for errors in the field. But Yohan Moncada with another error yesterday uh, on an easy ground ball hit right to him. And, uh, you know, you hear excuses from the broadcasters, but he's got to get better or he's got to go down. He can't stay. He's got 13 errors, and he's one of the top error guys in all of baseball. There's only two guys with more errors than him. And this guy's he's, I don't know if he's lackadaisical. Then he's smiling after he drops the ball. The only thing he should be smiling about is if he ever doesn't strike out in a game, which is rare for him. Let's stay on Fred's uh, baseball notebook and Murph's yellow pad. They call me mellow yellow. Great right they call me mellow yellow. All right, Fred, uh, on my uh, White Sox uh, beat here on the yellow pad, I, we all want to love uh, Tilson, uh, Chicago guy, speed demon. He's had a rough week or two with Mr. Wilson, the leather, though. Yeah, he dropped one yesterday, uh, and he didn't even know he dropped it. He thought he had it in his glove. He took two or three steps towards the dugout for the final out. That always amazes then me. Then he realized it wasn't there. Maybe the glove's too big, maybe. Now, Tilson and... Uh, out in center field. Adam Engel. Uh, Engel, thank you. Now, these these guys, uh, you know, I thought there'll always be a slot for them as fourth and fifth outfielders for sure, even right. when the uh, wave of the uh, kids comes up. Uh, I'm not sure that the both of them will be, but the Probably right one now. Of them, one of them might stick around as a defensive guy and yeah. also a speed guy. They both have some speed. Nasty Tilson's showing he can hit the ball a little mm-hmm. bit, where Engel's not. Engel's still struggling. I thought he was going to be better at the bat this year, and he uh, he's not been. Uh, a quick look down on the farm, Eloy uh, Jimenez, Jimenez. You know, a lot of talk the last week or two. Oh, you know what? You don't dare bring him up till April 15th. That's what the Cubs did, you might recall, with Bryant. It's called starting the clock. What it does is it gives you a seventh year instead of the six years that a contract uh, basic agreement would give you before you're a free agent. Uh, but you can delay that for another year, the seventh year. A lot of strategy behind it. So everyone's taking it as a given. Fred, I have an idea. Okay. I got an idea. In fact, what if... And the reason it's April 15th, uh, because then your LOS, length of service, is not a full year. That's why you get the seventh year. If you don't come up till about April 15th, you need to be about uh, 15 days before opening day. What if this happened, uh, uh, Fred? What if the Sox... Uh, this is a little different, but I like it. What if the Sox brought up Eloy September 1st this year? All uh-huh. right? Plays a month, gets his feet wet. Then next year... 
You start him at AAA, but not April 15th because now he's already. But you'd have, if you brought him up for 30 days, see what I'm saying? Now it would be May 15th. So just an idea. Let him play in the no pressure September. See what I'm saying? Yeah, but you know what? I don't like that because we saw in the no pressure September mm -hmm. last year. Who were the two top players for the White Sox in the no pressure September last year? Luis Giolito and Yoan Moncada. What are, they, what are they doing this year? There's a little bit of pressure. They're both fighting the big one. Finally, Giolito's pitched a couple of decent games in a row. All right. Even though he walked the bases loaded the other day, he got out of a jam and went, he had a no-hitter into the sixth inning. But I, I'm not a fan of it because they come up and it's just like being in the minor leagues because the baseball with the expanded rosters have guys that are minor league pitchers coming up and that's who they end up facing. That's what Moncada was doing last year. And I think it gave him a false sense of a of you know um, security, he comes right. out this year and he's playing miserably. Good. And I know people are All saying, right. "Well, they're not supposed to win." Yeah, I don't care. There were two things the White Sox were supposed to do this year: is see an improvement in Giolito and Moncada. And until the last two games, we've not seen that. There's a phrase. I mean, good counterpoint. I, you know, they can't go wrong either way. Uh, here's a uh, Fred. How many times now are you hearing this phrase? You know, the starting pitchers, right? Uh -huh. Applies to all teams. You know, the, th the third time through the batting order or lineup, which is the uh, uh, the batting order is the correct phrase. Third time through the batting order, boy, oh, boy, stats show most starting pitchers, you know, they start to get their ears pinned back. The ERA goes up. And it's all factually, statistically correct, okay? Here's the thing. Starting pitchers used to go seven, eight innings. Yep. And the pitch count was still like in the 50s when the third time through. They were stronger. Their arm now, see, here's where you can look at stats all you want, and sometimes you should stick them up your fanny. Here's the thing. There's no logic behind, well, the third time through, you better get those starting pitchers out of there. What they're saying is when the starting pitcher's getting up near 90 pitches, right. maybe 95 then you start thinking about getting them out. It's got nothing to do with because it's the third time, in my opinion. It's got nothing to do with because it's the third time through. No, it's because his arm's getting tired because he's thrown 90-95. And coincidentally, nowadays, here comes the leadoff man for the third time. I just thought, I don't know, I could be wrong. You know? Well, you know, that reminds me of what we saw the other day. If you were watching or had an eye on it, the Yankees had Luis Severino on the hill uh, against Philadelphia. He went seven innings. Um, he's got an ERA now down to 210. Okay, he threw 103 pitches in the seventh inning. Yeah. Okay, in the seventh inning, he was throwing. Is hmm. He had the fastest fastball velocity of the entire game. 99.2 miles per hour. No, some, so, some guy's tire, I but, think I said, but you're but right. What I'm saying is he yeah. threw 103 for seven innings. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. 103. Before that, he threw 107 for five and two-thirds. Mm -hmm. 102 for eight innings. You know what he's doing? He's economical with his with his innings pitch. Earlier in the month of June, 112 pitches, eight innings. Okay? That's a little bit better than when you're going to 100 pitchers, pitches and you're lucky to get out of the fifth. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you got to, you know, so many guys with the, the taking the walk you got to throw strikes. You got to get these guys out. And unfortunately, especially for the White Sox, I bring up Giolito again. You know, if you keep walking, guys, your pitch count's going to get way up there. Yesterday, Montgomery's pitch count was high. 
uh, early, I think. Yeah. And and the same thing happened with the White Sox. It was ridiculous. He, was, knew. he was like a dish rag dripping yeah. after the 90th pitch. Yep. Fred will continue on that. Uh, how to make the perfect Mai Tai. Want to talk about that when we return. Your Sox player that uh, uh, twisted his knee on first base the other day, running down the line, not Sanchez. It was... Uh, yeah, Yomer Sanchez. Hey, Sanchez. Yeah. I want to talk about that. And we have a Phil Rogers, uh, the big hitter, uh, baseball national guy. I'll say he'll phone in from Wrigley Field before noon. So all that and more. And we'll get the latest update on the uh, Murph and Fred Fan Focus Group Twitter poll. Vote now at ESPN 1000. I know we're late, Big Bad Sean. And Fred, hey, thanks for joining us. Let's see what the fans, what you voted on our last uh, Twitter poll. Big Bad Sean will need the uh, results from uh, 10 o'clock. Tom Ricketts, he'll tire of spending these big bucks on free agents. $126 million right now. Uh, dubious on Hugh Darvish. You know what someone on the inside told me about the uh, Darvish signing? It was a to- this is the inside Wrigley Field guy. Uh-huh. It was a total sabermetric selection. Okay. Nothing to do with his heart, nothing to do with anything except the numbers. And maybe it'll turn out to be great. Right. You know, everyone in baseball last December, January, February talked about, you know, the intestinal fortitude, if you want to use a, uh, uh, the, the, the guts, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, that was common knowledge, not just the baseball world, but, you know, most fans could pull it up and read about that or hear about it. And uh, it might work out great. It might not. But it was 100%. It was just, you know, numbers. I'll tell you something else. A friend of mine was a uh, scout for the uh, uh, Cubs. He's passed away. Uh-huh. Couple of years ago, you know what he said? There's a veteran guy. He said, "We may never draft a pitcher of substance, you know, from the high school or college in the in the draft." Right. I said, "What do you mean?" He says, uh, "Most of the scouts are gone. Uh, it's all new guys." He says, "I don't care about the new guys. They work hard." He says, "But they do. They, they go to watch a high school or college game, you know, for the draft, and then they send the results back to you know Wrigley Field, and they send." The radar gun and a video. He says they don't talk to the parents. They don't see what time the guy gets out to work out. They don't talk to the manager. They don't, you know, they don't do just well, numbers. How fast does he throw? No homework. Yeah, and that's fine. That's a new way. That's fine. But they, it's all not, and everybody does it. I'm, right. I would imagine, you know. So it's just something to put in the back of your mind when you think about how come the Cubs haven't had a pitcher, uh, you know, make it up to them. You know, uh, uh, through the system. Uh, let's see what you voted. Uh, Tom Ricketts going to be tired of the big buck free agents. Your choices were A, never, never. He loves it. B, well, he's probably wondering right now about all the dough. Though the Hayward thing is saving saving a lot of uh, uh, bad uh, uh, times for Theo to try to explain where the money went right now. Someone fixed him. 
And thank goodness for Cubs fans and for the bank book up there. Someone fixed Hayward. Uh, see, the bank might close someday, or D. You know what? That bank's probably closed right now. The next time they say we need 126 million, what the fans say? What was the winner there, Sean? As I shield my eyes like a right fielder today. Oh yeah, forty <laughs> percent say never. He loves it. He will never get tired of big bucks. He'll all right, never get tired of all right. Big time. Well, it, took him a, it took him a while to get those big bucks to afford the free agents. Now that they have it, it seems <laughs> like they're going to keep using it. And if they keep winning, no one will care. Rapid fire. What order were the second, third, and fourth? He's wondering. It's closing. It's closed. Thirty-three percent say he's wondering right now. Uh, that's about right. Sixteen percent. The bank might close. Okay. Eleven percent. The bank is closed. Man, he can't close the bank right now because they need players and they got no one to trade. Uh, Ten thirty. Twitter. Poll, you Darvish. Let's see what you voted here. You Darvish, A, B, C, D. He will help this year. He will not help this year. He will help in 2019. He will never help. What the fans say, Sean? It's a tie, Murph. Really? At the top, we have will help this year, but also we have tied at 34%. Will never help. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. So uh, tied for first and second uh, with the 3% factor, as they say on polling. Uh, tied, he will help this year, and he'll never help. That's each end of the spectrum. What fell in the middle there uh, will not help this year and will help next year. 20% say yeah. will not help this year. 12% say will help in 2019. Oh, man. Murph and Fred, glad you're with us. We got Cubs lineup, too, whenever you want to get to it. And also, parlez-vous français? France moves on in the uh, World Cup with a 4-3 win over Argentina. Nicely done. We'll try to squeeze in some World Cup with the expert Fred. Baseball next hour. Phil Rogers said he'd check in. We're busy. I'm way behind on the yell. We got so many things to cover. One hour to go. Much to do. So little time. Back in a flash. ESPN 1000. Four and three and two and one. one. Russell has walked and flied to center. The wind carrying it toward the bleachers. It's gone! It's a grand slammer! And the Cubs have the lead! Highlights good old NBC Sports Chicago, Murph and Fred. Yep, and they're playing again today. The Cubs and the Twins. Mm -hmm. Game on uh, ABC7. Um, and the lineups are out. At least the lineup for the Cubs. Nobody cares about the Twins. Nah. Well, um, I got Max Kepler in a uh, strat as a fantasy league, so okay. But I don't um, care about Max Kepler. Well, Albert Almora is leading off again. Yeah, hitting. Uh, what did you say? Number two batting average in the National the League. National League at three twenty four. Ba batting J average sucks. Jason Hayward in right field. Javi Baez back to start the game after his uh, fiance gave birth to their uh, little baby boy yesterday. Got a big uh, standing round of applause. Yep. I'm not sure it was standing, but it might have been uh, when he pinched it. He wasn't there for the beginning of the game, uh, as uh, Fred just gave the reason. And coming off that uh, uh, nice series in L.A. Yeah, he's playing second base. Anthony Rizzo cleaned up at first. Wilson Contreras behind the plate. Ben Zobrist is in left field. Addison Russell at short. David Bodie at third base. And Tyler Chatwood is pitching. The guys on TV the other day, hmm. uh, Len Casper and Jim Deshays, they were talking and they said, you know, in, in a lot of times in baseball, if you had only 12 
pitchers, hmm. and then you had the eight position players. You would a guy like David Bodie probably been, would have been with the team all year long. Good point. Now that. you only have four uh, position players available, and Bodie's up now because of Bryant being on the DL and things like that. But Bodie's in a weird spot because he's the guy they call up and down every time uh, there's an infielder that goes down. Mm-hmm. So he'd be here all year long, probably making big, you know, major league money. If he wasn't, uh, you know, if they if they didn't keep so many pitchers, no, that's a great point because yeah. uh, now you only have four guys on the bench, right? And National League, it's even more key because you know you pinch hit more, unlike the uh, American League. But one of those four, don't forget, is a backup catcher, right? Who usually you don't want to utilize uh, at all if you don't have to for emergency or late in the game. They did pinch hit uh, Joe Contreras. A little earlier than normal yesterday, probably couldn't stand looking at the Jimenez coming to the plate anymore. Why? He botched up. I'm sorry, he botched up another sack bunt yesterday. Popped it foul, then hit into I believe a ground ball double play. I heard one of the broadcasters say, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Contreras likely will come in to catch. Well, hope so. Yeah, <laughs> got nobody he, else. Maybe he thought Bodie was going to squat. Yeah, maybe Bodie could do it. Hey, has anybody got a cup? I could borrow your cup. You know, the, and well, heck, if you're playing third base in the big leagues, you should wear a cup anyway. Uh, third base, the hot corner. There's a reason they call it the hot corner. He can field. I tell you what, he's a very good field. Bodie can field first base, third base, and see, he's that's right. He's a perfect right-handed man. In, in the old days, when yeah. you had an extra couple men on the bench, Bodie plays first, plays third. You can probably stick him out in left and right. He's probably your third backup catcher, and uh, he can hammer. Lefties. Yeah, and then we talked. You talked a little bit about Baez in the series he had in L.A. I think of yeah. all the things he did in L.A. hitting the ball, mm-hmm. the play he made on the on the rundown when he got the ball, he told the catcher, "Throw it to me, throw it to me." He got the ball, tagged the guy out, threw to first base, and got Puig, who turned. Now they were saying that that, that throw was unbelievable. The throw was great, but they were also saying it. They gave they were giving Javi a little bit too much credit. They told they said that Javi knew when he made the tag he was going to throw to first. Javi. Made the tag, looked, and saw Puig was yeah. off, and then he threw. See, not so Javi's very, very good in the field, but, you know, give him credit where it's due, but don't you don't have to uh, embellish. Well, here's the problem, and I know the play you're talking about. Yeah. Everybody showed it. It was on MLB yeah, Network. Here's they the showed problem. Every- and you know what? As as we love to do, about four or five weeks ago, we were ahead of the curve, which is, you know, we try to do. We're not boasting. It's just something we like to do. And we talked a little bit about rundowns, remember? Yeah. And how no one knows how to do them anymore because they don't do it like we did as kids. Okay. Okay, Grandpa Murph, whatever the old days. No, the point is. No one has ever practiced a hot box, running bases, pickle in the backyard. So not just the the base runners don't know what to do, Fred. And not just the fielders don't know what to do. The announcers don't know what to say. See, it, what, what you just said seemed correct. Yeah. And, and this is a blanket statement on almost all the uh, on-air play-by-play uh, uh, analyst guys, all of them. You know, not, not just our guys. But... They don't know about the rundown, how to operate it either. Last night, there's a ground ball to Rizzo yesterday afternoon. I just did what I made yep. fun of yesterday, uh, mixing up a day game and a night game. There's a man on third, and there's a, a hard shot to uh, Rizzo, all right? Right. And Rizzo botches up the rundown, but everyone said he did such a great job. No. What he didn't do was continue to run at the runner. See, it's the most simple thing. We got this guy Butterfield coaching third. It's supposed to be an infield guru on the north side. Right. It's pathetic what they do when they have the ball on the defensive side of a rundown. So there's a shot to uh, Rizzo. 
and uh, it might have been first and third, but the runner on third starts going to the plate. They end up eventually getting him at home just by the luck of half outrunning a guy 89 feet, but we'll get back to that. So, uh, so here's the thing. Get ready with Murph moment. There's a ball to Rizzo. Mm-hmm. He holds now. Someone finally told him, "Hold the ball in your meat meat hand up in the air when you run uh, towards." Because finally, some Contreras did it the other day. That's how you do a rundown with the ball. You put, put the ball up in the air with your hands so the fielder can see it coming. Rizzo runs about thirty feet towards the runner who's frozen between third and home. Right. You know what you do? You run straight at him with the ball up in the air until he runs either left or right. Right. If he doesn't make a move, you just keep running at him right. and tag him out. But no, he whips it to third and a nice throw, but he threw it too soon. Yeah, you never, you would never throw it to third anyway. Well, but to me, that's you're right. But that's still secondary. Right. You don't worry about which way he's going to commit if you keep running at him. Yeah. And uh, he was uh, dumb enough to commit to the previous base instead of make it forward like you just said. He throws the ball way too soon. Hap's covering third, and Hap decides now because the runner's got thirty feet on him because Rizzo waited didn't wait long enough. He runs him all the way back to the plate and dives at like the eighty nine foot mark and bang bang tags yeah. his heel before you know he tags he tags the, the home. And that was another Murph moment. <laughs> well, I apologize for that, but anyway, I guess that. Uh, the announcers don't. You, you tickled me on that, Fred. But no one knows how to even break it down uh, in play or yeah, well, analyze. The point I was trying to make yeah. was Bias is an unbelievable. You can put Bias at second, at short, and at third, and you've got an all-star infielder, no matter where which of those positions he plays in. Mm. And and that's that's actually one of the things short that, stop, that short you see. Stop. Right. Short, second, third, either one, any of those spots he, he can could play. play. I bet he could play first, left, right. And once I remember, well, remember in my in the spring training two years ago, they were had him playing center field. Well, good point. Yeah. An interview about two three years ago with Javi when he was still like uh, you know a, ro- a rotation a bench uh, utility type guy. They said, "What's your favorite position?" He said, well, center field. I grew up playing center field all my life. Now you would be quote unquote wasting him. Yeah. In center field now. That you know what he can do with the glove at second or short, but you put him out in center field, he'd put Almora in his hip pocket. I bet. Well, I mean, he'd be very, very, very good. You would think. I bet uh, she's better. Yeah, but he's more valuable. Uh, you know, middle infield. I got another Baez. I'm glad you mentioned uh, uh, Baez. Let's go. Well, he deserves he deserves credit when I when he when he earns credit, and you know Elmer. the other the uh, well oh, no Baez. I'm sorry Baez. I'm, I'm sorry. There, there's also if you were watching the game in Cincinnati mm-hmm. when the Cubs lost the four games, there were back to back swings where Javi Baez hit a fly ball down the right field line, and the ball fell just foul, and Javi never left the box. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not calling him out. Jim Deshays did on TV. Deshays says, well, I can't believe Javi didn't run that out. He said the ball was barely foul. You know, unless he's he's superior at knowing if the ball is fair or foul. I know. I can't believe he didn't run it. The very next pitch, Mm -hmm. he hits one in the same spot. I know. And didn't run again. And it just was only fouled by like two, three feet. Right. And that's this whole respect 90. And that's why I keep throwing it out there. And people say, well, he hustles all the time. 
No, he doesn't. When a guy doesn't hustle, he's your team. I don't care if he's your favorite player. If he doesn't hustle, he's not doing his job on that play. Well, look at Ricky Renteria counting spring training. I believe that raw number now is seven yeah. times he's had to uh, bench, bench guys. I got either in game or usually the next day. Yeah, either Anderson, yeah. Moncada, or uh, Sanchez. Even mm-hmm. Sanchez, even Yolmer Sanchez, who's like the spark plug of the team, has been benched for for some yeah. doing something silly on the bases. Uh, I got some uh, Javi Baez numbers, but let's go to the phones. Three three two three seven seven six. Phil Rogers said he'd try to give us a call after uh, the managers' meetings and that breakup at Wrigley Field. He's a national baseball guy. Everyone loves Phil Rogers. Danny in Gray's Lake. Danny, is that you? Yeah. Hey, buddy. Murph and Fred. Hey. Go. What's up, Danny? Go, 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 go. Uh, I had a question. Okay. Hold on. Get your thoughts together. All right. Now, Javi Baez. Fred, how many times have we heard batting average doesn't count, it's all on base? Well, everybody says okay, that. Okay, that's fine. And I'm sure that that's a good argument, and I'm not going to, you know, say it's not. I, I will say it's not, so all you right. can send your emails to me. All right. Many people, if you asked them right now, if you said, who's the Cubs' best hitter? They'd say, Javi Baez. Right? How could you not? They would say it. He's first wrong. on the team in homers. Yeah. 16. First on the team in uh, RBIs. Or as uh, Joe Madden would say, ribeyes, with 57. He's first on the team in runs scored with 49. It'd be pretty hard to argue that Javi Baez right now is not the best hitter on the Cubs. I don't know. How do you define hitter? I guess that's nebulous. But Javi Baez, first on the team in homers, RBIs, and runs scored. So if he's not the best hitter right now, he's right there. Did you know he's last on the Cubs and on base? (laughs) I did not know that. Let me say that again, everybody. Batting average stinks. It's on base. All right, the, I'll talk slow. Let me talk slow. Okay. Is the transmitter on? Or is the volume all the way up here, Big Bad Sean? All right. Javi Baez is the best hitter on the Cubs. He's first on the team in slugging, 562. He's first on the team in OPS, on base plus slugging, 885. Javi Baez leads the team in homers, 16. Ribbies, 57. Runs scored, 49. All right. He's last on the Cubs, you know, everyday regular guys, 322. So what, how does that, how do you uh, justify that when the statement is that on base is the most precious number? I know. I, you do? Tell yeah, me. I don't know. What, no, what I would don't, the answer be? I have no idea. I don't <laughs> no. know how, you know, uh-huh. people, uh, it, it's tough to say who the best hitter on this Cubs team is. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the best hitter the guy with the best on-base percentage? Mm-hmm. If it's if, if that's true, then the best hitter on the Cubs is Ben Zobrist. He's got a three eighty five. He's got the best uh, he's on terrific. base. And I, he's I, terrific. I love Ben Zobrist. And you know what Ben Zobrist does? When he hits a home run, he's not swinging on. He's not swinging out of his shoes to hit a home run. He's he's got a normal swing, and all of a sudden, boom! It's gone. One of uh, four homers yesterday. You know the interesting thing about the four homers uh, yesterday. The Cubs uh, starting lineup did not have Baez, Bryant, or Contreras. Uh, the Grand Slam, uh, of course, from uh, Russell, uh, the uh, Hayward with the big two-run shot. He pulled it. The wind had no effect because it was a low liner and about row three uh, right field. Schwarber with the wind blown, but a bomb that probably would have been a homer anyway. And Zobrist, like I said, a hammers, a short, controlled, compact yep. swing from yep. the left side. Cuts the wind. Had nothing to do with that either. Nope. 
right. by Hayward. Not running. Zobrist in the air to deep right. Way back. Gone. A two-run homer for Zobrist. His sixth of the year, and the Cubs add some insurance. Cubs win uh, highlights NBC uh, Sports Chicago. Cubs now in second place. Well, they've been there for a while. Yeah. But Milwaukee keeps well, winning. Milwaukee's right. playing pretty darn now, well. NOW is the wrong word. You're exactly right. And Milwaukee's Cubs, won two in a row, so have the Cubs. Cubs remain in uh, second, uh, two and a half back. Milwaukee's won six of their last ten. The Cubs four of their last ten. We talked with Jesse about the great outing by Mike Montgomery. Not so great, Murph. I'm looking at the box score. Trust me. 98 pitches in that weather. Uh, the five uh, runs scored, the three earned runs, uh, they all count. But if you break it down or you watched it, a little rolling ground balls and an air uh, by him uh, uh, in the uh, two-run, uh, three-run uh, fourth. The bullpen, other than Wilson, man, this Rosario Bass. Who the heck is he? Three strikeouts in the seventh inning. Struck out the side. Strope, who everyone wanted to jump on when he had his one out of every nine or ten bad outings the other day. He had a clean inning. Nine pitches, one strikeout. Uh, Morrow has to come in because Wilson spits the bit again uh, in the ninth inning. So they had to get Morrow up uh, and uh, waste him. But uh, here's Wilson. He comes in to clean up, you know, 10-5 Ten to five through the ninth inning. Let's get out of it. A hit, grounded into double play. Looks like he's not going to get out of it. Double walk, single. Joe's got to bring in the closer. Should we, Fred? Should we try Danny once more in Grizzly? Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. Let's give him a chance. Danny, give us your question right away. Danny, go. Yeah. Uh, do you think the Cubs should trade for Manny Machado if they know they can get a contract extension from him? Uh, they uh, would be more apt to. What are you going to trade? Uh, what What are the Orioles going to get from the Cubs? Yeah, I was I was thinking if they can get an extension from Machado, then what? maybe no, they no, give not, no, no, no. Go ahead. What would you think the Orioles would want? The Orioles probably would want either Russell or Hap, either one of those. <laughs> All right. Well, Russell. You would trade if you knew you were going to have Machado. You do that in a minute, yes, and yeah. uh, or Hap if you knew you had him for long term. Yeah, that's the problem. You can't talk to any of these guys before the trades are made. And uh, if other yeah. teams, the Dodgers, there's other teams going to pony up, and other teams. Here's the problem, Danny. Actually, have a farm system. Yeah, the Orioles. They probably say, you know take your uh, nice player, uh, Addison Russell. We want, we're talking to the uh, Dodgers. They got three guys in the top twenty minor league uh, rankings, and uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the only problem. They can't, they don't have any farm. The Cubs don't have a farm. And why is and why is why is that? Because they've traded them all away. No, no. Well, they have traded a bunch away. None of them were drafted though. They were uh, all they international. Were, uh, international guys. International signings. Yeah, you see, if the Cubs could uh, draft a few players, Danny, then you could have Machado even as a rental player. Good call. Thank you very much. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with the Machado thing, but the closer it gets to the uh, deadline, I think the less you're going to have to give up because you know he's not going to. You know he's going to be going to free agency at the end of the year. Unless there's three big market teams get in a bidding war. But te- basically, I agree with you. Usually people yeah, think I mean, as you get to the ex- expiration, July 31st, the price goes up. Now, if you got two or three big market teams or two or three teams with a ton 
of minor league prospects, they might get in a bidding war. Yeah, the one thing, though, late when you, when you get late towards the uh, trade deadline, a lot of times teams are looking for pitching because it's so important. Not many people are looking for a second baseman that has power or a shortstop that has power. Uh, most teams, if they're doing well, they've Russell, got a short. Uh, no, what I'm saying most shortstop, most teams, there they have a shortstop that's pretty darn good. You know, I don't know that the Cubs need Manny Machado to win, you know, to win. 11 o'clock. Uh, can use some pitching. Twitter poll. All right, Fred, I can't wait to get the results on this one. All right? Vote right now at ESPN 1000. Who? Okay, three names coming up. Multiple choice. Three groupings. and Who will be traded first? Could be tomorrow. Could be five years from now. Who of these uh, will be traded first? A, Jose Abreu. B, Addison Russell. C, Taves or Kane. Okay. All right. Voting's been open since 9 a.m. We'll have those results momentarily. 3-3-2-3-7-7-6. Murph and Fred. So the White Sox Sanchez hurts his knee the other day, right? Yolmer, yep. Paint a picture. Uh, it's a bang-bang play at first. I'm watching the game, and I texted you, so I know you saw it, yep. too. Logan Morrison uh, playing first base for the Twins mm-hmm. on the south side. and uh, Sanchez Morrison's barreling down the line, yep. trying to beat it out. Yep. Morrison's left leg on the base still, and uh, mm-hmm. and Sanchez hits him in his knee. They goes knee to knee with his left leg. Did they actually hit knee to knee? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is, well, on the third viewing, uh, the okay. announcer was able to see that they hit uh, knee to knee. Um but which we saw right off the bat. But that's not the whole story. Well, see, I I don't agree with what you're what you've got. Okay. So so I hit the stop and go pause back and forth. It was the weirdest thing. I've been watching baseball since they used to have gunny sacks for the uh, bases, uh, you know, filled with uh, sawdust. All right. Not these big modern ones now. Big plastic with the... They used to be crowned. Right. Now they're flat again. Oh, they're they're kind of crowned still. crowned yeah. still. Uh-huh. And when they're wet, the players wipe out on them. They slide they, they out of remember, Just... remember Chris Bryant last year? Slid right over the It used the to base. be like a potato sack, onion sack, yeah. with like a, uh, like a sawdust, where your spikes would actually dig in. Anyway, that's, you know, a million years ago. So, as his foot came down... Uh, the way I saw it, Fred, you say you didn't. The base gave. Not moved, but the front where his foot hit gave down. This was at Sox Park. I'm not saying they had old, uh, overused bags. I wouldn't think they do. They give a lot away for charity game used. I think it was a mal-produced, un- not produced properly, mal-produced a bag at the factory. Well, it came up because that's where the uh, Morrison's foot was on that, far- that part of the base also, near the front of the base. So there was a lot of weight hitting right. the front, and the, the front of the base indented down. It gave, and the back of the base actually went up a little bit, like tipping yeah, a, a right. bowl of soup a little bit, like a seish on Lake Michigan, if you will. Google a seish. All those people died on Montrose Harbor back in the 50s when the seish. Now they can predict it. And I believe his foot gave because of this turbulence on the base. And maybe I, I missed that, but uh, you thought you saw it too. Vote right now. You thought you saw it differently. I'm sorry. Well, but yeah, but the, the leg that's the problem is the leg that hit the, the first baseman, not the right leg. Well, but it, yes, but thank you. But it threw off his stride. It made the left foot 
gave a little where the right foot then came over at a different angle. Whatever. Maybe I'm, I just thought I saw it there. Yeah, and I, I thought Morrison's knee was like in the middle of the base. Okay. And so there was no way, real way for uh, Sanchez to avoid it if he mm-hmm. was going to lead, if he was going to hit the base with his right foot instead of his left foot. Right, right. So we'll see. He's day to day, as we all are. I, ha- I haven't had a Mai Tai. Do we have any Mai Tai experts in, in the room here? Uh, no, I used to. I used to know how to make them. I bartended for a while. Rockwood Tap House out in Downers Grove. Uh-huh. Bartended for a year or so. But, uh, yeah, I forget how to make Mai Tais. Most people just ask me for beers. Sean Davis, Big Bed. Big Bed Sean. Big Sean. Hey, Big Bed Sean. Crack open the microphone. Yeah. Are, are you a uh, my my tie guy? No. All right. Yeah, either my okay. no my tie guy. Okay. So lovely, lovely Dana had a my tie. I know she went out with the, a group of the gals, you know, from the hospital, and uh, uh, they ended up uh, oh I don't know somewhere, and, and someone said let's get some uh, um, uh, my ties, right? So uh, uh, they ordered the oh, P.F. Chang. Is that yep. it? Yeah. So, Dana comes in, oh, man, that was, you know, she had uh, 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 one uh, drink there at one of the birthday uh, parties they have. So she comes in, you know, we got a Mai Tai sometime. I, I don't think I've ever, you know, can't remember. Uh-huh. So uh, every Saturday when uh, hubby, you know, gets home, gets off the train, and that's usually a, a cocktail of, of the week, you know. We don't go to the uh, wet bar, dry bar at home very often, but Saturday afternoons, you know, and I usually have my old beef eater uh, martini. Uh, you know, a splash of vermouth, uh, a couple of blue cheese olives. Uh, so, we're going to have a Mai Tai on Saturday. Okay, great. So, she goes to uh, uh, the Jewel, I believe it was, one of the stores, and goes to the liquor department. And she's on, she goes, uh, Google's up Mai Tais. Right. And she's, there's like a hundred different ways to make a Mai Tai. Uh-huh. And she goes, there's a, this type of rum and that rum, the Myers Dark and the Bacardi Light and all the things you can put in. Ron Rico. I remember Ron, Ron Rico, Rico right? rum. Yep. So, you know, and she's, she's Googling and reading and she's standing there in the liquor department. And uh, she said, there's, there's a, you know, a woman standing next to me and she seems very intent uh, looking at all the liquor and that. And, but she's not like an employee. She doesn't have the jewel badge or Mariano's badge. So one of them's, you know, can I help you? Or Dana says, hey, do you know anything about the Mai Tai? And the, you know what the woman says? What? Do I know anything about Mai Tai? I'm a sales rep here in, in the distributor for, for uh, Bacardi rum. There you go. Yeah. So uh, we're going to have the pineapple. And uh, so I, I was hoping you or uh, Big Bad Sean could, uh, but it'll be my first Mar- Mai Tai maybe ever. I got it right here if you want the ingredients. Yeah, yeah. What's, what do you got? Uh, one and a half ounces of white rum. Okay. A half an ounce of fresh, that's fresh, mm. lime juice. Mm. Half an ounce of orange curacao. Mm. Half ounce of uh, orgeat uh, syrup. God bless you. O-R-G-E-A-T. Oh, yeah. We got syrup. She right. got that. And three quarters of an ounce of dark rum. So you've got one and a half of white rum <laughs> yeah. and three quarters of an ounce of dark rum. A little potent, perhaps, but we won't be uh, driving. Uh, it's a cocktail based on rum. Curacao liqueur, uh, orgiat syrup, and lime juice associated with Polynesian-style settings. That's why on the old uh, dry bar, there we have the bottle of Bacardi uh, you know, light color, clear, and she's got the Myers uh, dark rum. Here's what you do: you yeah. shake all the ingredients except the dark rum together in a mixer with ice. Nice. You strain into a glass and float the dark rum onto <laughs> the top. 
Oh, I love when you float that stuff on the top. It's awesome. Garnish and serve with a straw. Sounds a little potent with uh, how many ounces? Uh, you have ounce and a half? An ounce and a half of white rum and three quarters of an ounce of dark rum. <laughs> Sounds like the old martini, a joke. Uh, tastes so good, one's not enough, and three's one too many. All right. Or just handcuff yourself to the uh, dining room table so you don't uh, well, you ain't going leave the anywhere. house. Yeah. <laughs> well, you not going anywhere. Nothing wrong with Back them. on the baseball beat, uh, Murph and Fred, when we return, and we'll get the results of uh, our 11 o'clock uh, Twitter poll. Who will be... Not Darvish, who? Who will be traded first? He's untradeable, Darvish. Maybe maybe Hayward's going to be tradable now. Maybe he'll opt out. Or maybe they'll keep him and he's uh, going to be the next Ted Williams. Vote now. Jose Abreu, Addison Russell, or either Taves or Kane. Vote now at ESPN 1000. A walk in the Black Forest. Horst Jankowski. Crank it up there, Sean. Seventh. I drive to center. That ball carrying. And it's gone. On top of the batter's eye. His 16th. Uh, you know, of late, he's been doing a lot of damage center field. That's a great sign. Kyle Schwarber. Do some people just tell him putting a G on the end, or is it just my, like, here's some pipetons people, yeah, Chicago people, Schwarberg. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, I think, I still think, uh, Len and, uh, JD mm-hmm. undersold that on MSN, MSN, on NBC Sports Chicago. Um, that ball hit the top of the batter's eye and jumped into the, Bleachers up the, there, the old upper, upper pyramid. Unbelievable! And how far he hit that and ball. And we know it's wind dated, you know. So you know, and you don't have to call in or uh, say, "Hey, you idiots!" The wind was blowing out. Well, uh, I think there are a couple of Dave Kingman's homers were maybe the one oh, that yeah. knocked on the door oh, sure. uh, down Kenmore Avenue. That three, was probably wind dated too. Three doors down at Kenmore. The one that Glenn Allen Hill hit on the roof across the street. That might have been wind dated too. But the, you know, they all count. The three-run homer by uh, Mauer uh, was wind dated. Second inning yeah. was a pop-up to left, and the wind moved it. Back and the grand slam by Addison Russell. They was don't a, count. The can of corn. Yeah, they don't count less. They don't say, oh, that's only three quarters of a homer. That's only three quarters of a run. Well, turn it around. You're right. The antithesis, if you will. How about in April? Some uh, Someone hits a, uh, a bomb uh, out to left field that would have been three houses right. down, but the wind's coming in from Canada out of Evanston about 18 miles an hour, and it's caught in short left field uh, by the left fielder. Right. Oh, the shortstop calls him off. Yeah. And dare you... Dare you say then? Well, you know, that would have been a home run in, in, in uh, June or yeah. July. Well, you know, well no, you'd be laughed at. And what they say is everything evens out. Hey, uh, one minute away from Phil Rogers. All right, uh, uh, last chance for you to vote right now at ESPN 1000. 11 o'clock uh, was who will be traded first? Jose Abreu, Addison Russell, or either Taves or Kane. And 11.30. Where will LeBron land? A, Lakers, B, Cavs, C, other... Or land on his wallet is where he'll land. Or D, I couldn't care less. Where will LeBron land? Vote now it is, Game 1000. Lakers, Cavs, on his wallet or other...
or I couldn't care less. But we do care about this. Let's go to Wrigley Field. I'll tell you what, no one uh, better in the business. Love having Phil Rogers pick up the phone for a few minutes. Said he would. It's busy at Wrigley Field. So we won't keep him hanging on. Keep him live. It's Mike Murphy here and Fred Hubner. Thanks a million, Felipe. Good morning. Oh, always happy to do it. Look at looking out over the plaza at Wrigley and enjoying uh, the ballpark improvements. And uh, looking forward to a game today. Now, Phil, that would be the Gallagher Plaza Plaza there. So I don't want you to get your knuckles uh, uh, wrapped with a uh, 12-inch ruler for not plugging. But uh, <laughs> you know what? I liked it as the plaza. I liked it as that nice green air. But everything's for sale, and that's fine. They win the World Series, and they spend a lot of money. So who am I to decide whether to say Gallagher? I don't even know. What, what is Gallagher? Does anybody know, Fred? Nope. Uh, <laughs> all, 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 I know, all I know is they brought good food and good drink uh, to the neighborhood. They, they've upgraded yes. uh, in both categories. Nothing against the traditional beers, but I, I love the... Uh, Fancier, finer craft beers you can now find in the area, and yeah. uh, oh. I, I'm all I, I'm down on all the things. Well, you, you have done. You and Fred, I'm surrounded by two great craft guys. We'll give you guys some time someday to just talk about the craft beer. We need a longer show, but you're but, right. Hey, the, hey, the, the, the plug there is the, the bar at Wrigley, the Lucky Door. Yes. If you have if you haven't checked that out and you like craft beer, you've got to do that. It's right across from the firehouse, kind of behind the the bigger Budweiser brick house. It can be a little bit tough to find, sure, but it is an awesome little place. Yeah, well worth it. Anytime you can grab a good craft beer, it's a great no, time. No, the plaza's great. It's it's just uh, you know how many things are they going to name? But uh, hey. Jack Brickhouse, the Brickhouse, they gave him a nice tip of the hat there. Put it this way, Phil Rogers, it's better than when the car wash was there, yum, yum, donuts, and the Arnie Harris truck, right? <laughs> well, the only da- the only bad thing is I'm looking down to where I used to park my car, also in that plaza. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, there wasn't that far back when a lot of that was really nice press parking. So, oh, yeah. Yep. You know, selfishly, we have to make our sacrifices. Phil, how do we uh, sports fans, uh, uh, on the air, off the air, print guys, fans, you're a baseball fan, uh, first year of life, uh, as we all were. How do we talk about the wind blowing out? So when we talk about the Mauer homer, which was a pop out to the left and the basket caught it, and we talk about Russell's grand slam, which is a, you know, pop out to left field and it's a grand slam. And then Schwarber hits a ball that bounces up as Fred and I have been talking, where very few uh, baseballs land uh, during the game up in the old upper pyramid, which uh, crazy is the only part of the original bleacher is still intact. Everything else has been redone. But but we don't dare say it was windblown because would it be fair in April to say, oh, God, you know, Brian hit a ball that in June, this is April with the wind blowing in 20 miles an hour from Evanston, you wouldn't say, boy, that ball would have been a home run in June when the shortstop catches it backpedaling because <laughs> the wind's blowing in. Uh, do, you, do we have to uh, allude to that or a home run's a home run and a pop-out's a pop-out? No, I think you factor in. Uh, you know, I always have when I'm writing, you factor in the conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, you see balls crushed on pitchers' days. You know, I like Greg Maddox. I used to live in, like, Streeterville downtown, and he would drive up Lakeshore Drive going to Wrigley Field, and he would he would look at the lake 
to see what the what it was going, you know, how the wind was blowing. Uh-huh. And I, I I always confuse this, but if the wind's <laughs> coming out of the east, yeah, the lake the lake would be uh, smooth. Smooth. I think. Wind, yeah. If it was coming if it was coming out of the west, the lake would be choppy. Waves. And uh, and he, he, he yeah. I, I'm afraid I'm going to get it backwards, but it's no. like. Uh, uh, smooth, good, choppy, bad. Or, exactly. You know, it, it, it would, it would, that would be the first <laughs> thing he would do when he got in the car. Would be just glance over to his right, driving up Lakeshore to look at the at the lake to see what the wind was doing. So, certainly at Wrigley Field, it's always a factor. And if a guy crushes a bit, crushes one, and you think it's out, it's caught on the warning track. You know, that's a big factor yeah. in the game. So, you know, I, I, I always I do factor it in. I my. My observation over the last five years or so is when the wind blows out, you think you're going to see a lot of home runs. Right. And more often than not, you see a three to two game and you're, you walk out going, man, I really thought they were going to score a lot of runs today. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it does play in the, it messes the hitters up because I think, mm. you know, I, I think guys do swing for the fences when the wind's blowing out. And I, I think, you know, maybe sometimes they get less results than if they just ignored it. And a guy that does ignore it and has had a really nice record of pitching at Wrigley when the wind is blowing out is Kyle Hendricks, who's probably the Maddox of this current staff. And he told me, you know, he's had some great games with like 20-mile-an-hour winds blowing the center. And, and he said, I just try to do the same thing I would any other time, which was the way Oral Hershiser, who was a great postseason pitcher, Always said he pitched in the postseason. Was you try to be you, you try to be the same you are during the regular season, and if you can do that, you'll be better mm. because guys mess themselves up by now really grinding to be great on this one day. So just kind of maintaining that normalcy that worked for Hershiser, I think, works for Hendricks on those days. You know, Phil, talking about Kyle Hendricks, we have uh, Rick Tutcliffe comes on with Waddle and Sylvie every Friday, and he was on yesterday, and I asked him, I was filling in for Sylvie, and I asked him about Kyle Hendricks and what his struggles have been, and he said he thinks that what they're doing is that Hendricks seems to be pitching more towards the um, the breakdown and the scouting report on these players and how to pitch them as opposed to throwing what's worked for him over the past. Uh, prime example is the Jack Peterson ball that he threw high in the zone the other day, and Jack Peterson, because Kyle Hendricks isn't throwing 95 miles an hour, belted it out of the ballpark out in L.A. Uh, do you think about that? I thought that was a great a breakdown by Sutcliffe. Yeah, no, no question. And, and, you know, the thing with Rick is he's close to the – Cubs front office and close to the Cubs coaches and you know sometimes he might whether he tries or not might give you some inside information yep um yeah what I what I see with Hendricks is when he throws his change up down where he wants to about ankle height it's not moving the way it nor you know I, I think when he's on one of those three-month runs where you know he or when he won the when he won the ERA title which no Cub had done since the 40s, I think. Yes. Um, when when he did that, he was throwing that change up. You know, it'd start maybe knee high and go down to ankle high. But it had a lot of movement down. It was not that far unlike that Jake Arrieta cutter slider that down in the strike zone was moving all over the place. And when I've watched him lately, I, I'm not sure he's had that same movement on it. And, no. and that's kind of to me is like the change up is, such a big pitch for him that if that's not quite right, I don't know that he's going to be able to offset it with his other pitches and compensate for it. So, 
that's what I would watch. You know, if you see it, getting that movement, and a lot of times it's side to side movement. And I, I think you know he controls it. I this is two or three years ago when he was relatively you know still getting his start. I was talking to him one time about his changeup, and I you know I asked him. You know, when did you start working on that? You know, did you do that in the minors? And he looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> and he said, "He said I'm a pitcher. I've been manipulating the ball my whole life. Wow. Which is right. It's the way he does it. I mean, he, you know, and he he's had to learn to pitch that way because, you know, he didn't throw hard enough to impress scouts when he was in high school. He really, it, the, his big dream was to go to Stanford uh, and pitch for Stanford, and Stanford didn't want him because he didn't throw hard enough. So, so he went to Dartmouth and uh, <laughs> you know, later won won the ERA title in the National League. But it tells you about velocity and the prejudices. But he he learned how to pitch, um, you know, at with what he had sure. around ninety miles an hour, um, you know, by getting the ball to move you know, controlling which way it moved. And I just don't think he's getting that same movement. But, Phil, now you just tickled my memory, which, uh, you know, I don't like to do very often because it makes me think. But was it a year or two or three ago when Kyle Hendricks, he missed about three, four weeks on a DL because of uh, tendonitis and a finger on his right hand, or they never said carpal tunnel. Uh, has anyone mentioned, is that even a possibility now? I, I just thought of that. Yeah, when you were, I mean, that's... No, that's that, that's a valid thought, um, you know, be, because the pressure you put on the ball with, you know, I mean, that's really important. And you're right, he did go on, he was on the DL, and um, I think that was, hmm. could that have been early, 17, or, or just early last year, first first half of last year maybe? I got to look that up. 16, he led the league in ERA. I don't right. think he had any problem. Mm-hmm. So it would either have been 15 or 17. I think maybe it was early 17. I think April or May of, of last year he had an issue. Baseball expert. But, but, but you're, you're, you know, that's a, yeah. that is worth filing away. I mean, you know, he's, you know, Maddox was like that, you know, probably to a similar degree. But I think Greg was a little more traditional pitcher that when he was a second round pick and came up, um, you know, he had a, a fastball that for that time hmm. wasn't great, but it was probably average. You know, he would throw 92, 93 as a kid. And I think he developed stuff maybe at the second half of his career, the way Hendricks has, you know, developed, you know, in what hopefully is the first half of his long career. Final, I, uh, Phil, I wanted to thank you very much for picking up the phone. Uh, Phil Rogers, baseball expert, MLB.com. Last thing, then we'll let you get back out and sweat for a while. I, I, I hope you're inside somewhere cool right now. Um, we all love stats. I mean, anyone that doesn't look at stats these days, you know, is an idiot. But you still have to temper and evaluate the stats. Otherwise, you're an, an idiot twice. You know, that's the way I look at it. Now, we all know, and I always bring this up, Phil, you've joined uh, uh, Murph and Murph and Fred for so many years. 25 years ago, I used to have John Dewan on. He was on again today. Bill James I used to have on when people had no idea what sabermetrics, analytics. It was like, you know, the three heads like you were talking about. Uh, so I love numbers. The thing that drives me a little curious, on base, you know, everyone hates batting average. Yeah, it's on base, on base, on base is what you So Fred and I pulled this up a little earlier. Javi Baez. 
I say, many would say he's the Cubs' best hitter right now. Leads the team in homers. Leads the team in ribbies. Leads the uh, team in runs scored. He leads the team in slugging. 562, Phil. He leads uh, the Cubs in on-base plus slugging. OPS, 885. He's the best hitter statistically, and I think your eyeballs would tell us that right now. He's last on the team and on base, 322. How can the best hitter have the worst on base, I ask you, Phil Rogers? That's, uh, that, that's a really good question. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can do it. You do it by taking almost zero walks. You know, he, he still remains. He's, he's not quite as bad as he was in April and May. Uh, I think he took more walks in June, but he's still an almost unwalkable guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the high on base percentage guys are guys that walk a lot. And that's probably never going to be uh, Javi Baez. And, you know, it, for him, the battle is to not get himself out swinging at the bad pitches. Uh, but he's probably never going to be a, a patient Paul Molitor type hitter who's going <laughs> to, um, you know, make the pitcher throw strikes and take his walks, that's that's not in his DNA. So I think you knew that answer oh, when no. you asked the question. <laughs> Come on, Phil. <laughs> I think you're pretty aware that Javi doesn't walk. And uh, I actually would have – I wouldn't have been surprised if you told me his on-base was still below 300. Okay. It was below 300 for, uh, you know, part of, part of this year when he was leading the league in RBIs. I'm not sure how he's leading the league in RBIs. No, the team. Um, the co- no, those. He leads the. Uh, right, and that, well, for a long time. He, oh, you're right. right. Time, you're right. I'm sorry. He the yeah. at RBI. No, you're, you're exactly. And, and uh, you know, the Cubs do. They do have this pattern, and this is interesting. I think to debate whether this is valid or not. But going into the playoffs last year, they had really good offensive numbers. How many runs they were averaging. Mm. I don't know where they were exactly second in the National League, but they, they were near the top of the National League at scoring. But there was big concern around the Cubs about their lineup and producing runs. And it was because they have so many 10-run games, 12-run games. When they're scoring, they score a lot. Mm-hmm. And that, that trend seems to have continued this year. If you look, <laughs> yeah. I think they're probably higher in offensive stats than you would think they are watching them you know, struggle to get more than 10 games above 500 and, you know, really, um, pull, you know, number one, pass the Brewers, and number two, get to where people expect this to be, a team that win 95 to 100 games or mm-hmm. uh, something like that. And, um, you know, I, I think that trend has continued. I think over 162 games, the average should tell you something. And if you're second in the league in scoring, you should go into the postseason very yeah. confident, but they did not last year because they had, they had this tendency. You know, they have so many zero, one, two, three run games, uh, and then a lot of ten, eleven, twelve run games, and you you know they tend to you tend to lose most of those low low run scoring games. Hey Phil, sounds great, Fred. You're going to have to uh, meet uh, Phil Rogers for a couple crafts. Yeah, at the Lucky Door, right? <laughs> and if you see uh, uh your namesake, Jesse Rogers, spelled different but still sounds the same. Tell him to put a hat on so it doesn't burn the dome, okay? Oh, I'll do that for sure. <laughs> thanks a million thanks, for Phil. your personal time. All we'll right. catch up with you All again. Right, thanks, Phil Rogers, right. uh, thanks, MLB.com. Murph and Fred up against the clock. Back in a flash, ESPN 1000.
Murph and Fred, thanks for joining us. Saturdays, 9 till noon. Thanks to you and Jesse for filling in for old Murph last Saturday, Fred. Uh, Jesse had all kinds of fun yeah. doing it from Cincinnati. Yeah. And he explained how he had to leave early because he had a 45-minute or 25-minute drive to the ballpark. And uh, thanks for that nice little uh, reference. Uh, Murph's uh, Cal Ripken streak, uh, 114 Saturdays. I had something I had to have done. Uh, and uh, back in the saddle here with uh, my good buddy, Fred, uh, I want to get our final uh, results in from Big Bad Sean, the Murph and Fred Fan Focus Group Twitter poll. Well, let's see. We're one behind. The 11 o'clock was who will be traded first, Jose Abreu, Addison Russell, or either Taves or Kane. I think C's going to win this, Fred. Uh, I hope not. I mean, I hope that doesn't happen. I'd hate to see Taves or Kane be traded. Well, the way Taves played last year, I wouldn't mind him being traded. Well, I know. That's just me. I know. I know. Well, we got to find someone to play with Johnny. I know. I think it's going to be B, Addison Russell. Uh, Big Bad. Sean, what do we have? So let's start with 16% Taves and Kane. Okay. Surprisingly. 35% Addison Russell. Hmm. And overwhelmingly, 49% of the fans think Jose Abreu would be moved first. I hope they're wrong. But, Fred, now that uh, the experts, whoever they are, are saying, you know, well, the uh, Sox, uh, you know, target rebuild a year uh, now. Not the Sox target, but what people say target, you know, could be 2020, 2021. Uh, 2021's ridiculous. Well, I, I know. They're going to have nobody in the stands if they wait that long. But will Abreu still be with the team? He's got one year left next year on the contract free agent. Are they going to bring him back? Or do you yeah. try to get something now? I mean, uh, the bring re- him back. Rebuild means rebuild. But Fred says, nope. Let's keep him there. And I couldn't argue with you. I mean, you could raise a million great points. And our final Twitter poll question. Sean, the question was, where will LeBron land? A, Lakers. B, Cavs. C, other team as friends with a pocket full of, uh, wallet full of money to sit on. Or D, frankly, I couldn't care Less. I'm guessing it's going to be 85. percent Well, Lakers. actually, this was a dead heat until the last five minutes. Was it really? Just pulling ahead with 44. Uh-huh. percent I couldn't care less. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't believe that, but hey, that's well, what they say. What do you mean you don't believe, I believe it? it. No. Wait, wait, wait. Even if you don't care, people care well, about for, LeBron but they, James. But, but they, they don't. don't care. The vote said no. Yeah, they do. No, they don't. They do. Not. Yeah. You know, the only people that care about LeBron James are big NBA fans. What do you think? It's fake news. That's so not true, Fred. Same way we'll get to that tomorrow. <laughs> Same way the people that don't care about Tiger Woods. <laughs> what was the winner? What was ca- the other one that was tied with? Yeah, couldn't care less. The wins. other one that was tied with is uh, the Lakers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of thought it'd be eighty percent Lakers. How about that? Couldn't care less where LeBron goes. Wins the final Twitter. Want to thank our guest, John DeWan, studyofthweek.com, checking in, and the Rogers guys, uh, Jesse Rogers, Phil Rogers. Uh, Want to thank everybody for checking in. Sean Davis, all of his help, and he'll be back yeah. with me tomorrow when I get to work with Black and Abdallah. They'll talk a lot of NBA. They care about where LeBron goes. I'll be watching soccer. Wind blowing out. Put some cabbage above your head in your cap. What? Murph and Fred St. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. See you later, everybody.